all your fears in one deadly enemy. Sounds like the sales pitch of some bullshit Swiss army knife, but it's actually for Pennywise the Dancing Clown, because this is Slashers, a horror movie podcast brought to you not by, by not one, by not two, but three goons on whatever night we decided to record this week. I am Jake, your humble but obnoxious host, and to my left is Chad. Chad, greet these glorious, gregarious goons. Greetings, goons. And to my right is Jimothy, the gym turn. My friend, please greet these fans and let them know how grateful you are that the raucous support has brought you back for your fourth episode in five weeks. Is that right? Yeah. No. Three and four? Three. Three and four? I think it's three. I think this is his third. Okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. It's three. Because this is, yeah. I apologize. I'm getting ahead of myself (laughs) because we work entirely too much on those green screen videos. And I think that, but you've also been here for more than that. So that's probably what I'm thinking. I apologize to you all. Thank you for not abusing me verbally. (laughs) Now, you guys might remember that because we have so many awesome new guests, or not guests, listeners, everybody wants to be a guest on the show. That is true. I get uh, requests all the time for that. It's pretty great. We'd love to have all of you, but we also, it's very hard to do that. (laughs) Also, maybe, here's an idea. Listen to the show before you ask to be on it. People are like, hey, do you do film reviews? Uh, Yeah. It's kind of all we do. <laughs> That's our thing, man. Yeah. It's like the one thing I'm like quite good at on the show, besides my impressions work. Oh, also, have you heard Chad's singing voice? It's lovely. You should check out six episodes back when I did that bit for an entire episode. Yep. That was great. Anyway, maybe even longer than that now that I said it out loud. But for all the new listeners, to introduce you to the show, one of our greatest followers and friends, Queen Cujo, who is a patron. We love her. She describes the show as, if you like dick and fart jokes, then this is your podcast. That's her one sentence. So, you know what? She listens to she, the show. <laughs> religiously. That's the great thing. Somebody who's a master of something can dissect it to its purest form, right? She's the biologist, and she has dissected the frog that is slashers it with meticulous detail. Jim, what's your favorite dick joke that I've ever told? <laughs> so many. No idea. It's a trick question. <laughs> it's a trick. I can't narrow it down to one because I can't. There's so many. Oh, I yeah. can't even remember any. It's overwhelming, even for me. It is. That's what she said. Boom. <laughs> Notice that when I say that, I'm always saying it in a way that nobody else can say it. Because I had friends growing up. That's like their whole thing, and so it was like a competition to be the first one to say it, so you could just get it out of the way and move on. <laughs> That's what she said. There you go. Set you up like a <laughs> boss. B-A-U-S because why not? This week is it. I hope you don't have cholerophobia, which is a fear of clowns. Perfect. This is going to be a crazy episode where Jake talks entirely too fast. Why is that? Because the book upon which this three hour made for TV miniseries is based is 1,138 pages. The second longest Stephen King book to date. Do you know the longest? The Stand. At 1,153. I've listened to both a couple times. Which is better? Ooh, uh, <laughs> I prefer it, even though I'm not even that fond of it. I prefer it also. You've read The Stand? Oh, yeah. Listened to The Stand. Yeah, I've listened. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty common knowledge. The Stand is what Stand By Me is based on, right? I'm fucking with you. I know. It's the body. Yeah. I know. See? Well, I'm a funny guy. 
in case you needed to be reminded. Hilarious. That wasn't a dick joke. Are you impressed? I am. My humor knows no <laughs> bounds. You're growing. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> God damn it. My humor is right back to dick jokes. Uh, so this film, I was going to play a gag and be like, me, me. It's the 1927 film with Clara Bow. <laughs> but I'm not going to. IMDb is a wonderful place, uh, but I also spent 10 minutes looking up this movie that I'd never heard of because I was like, eh, maybe it's worth a bit. Nah, it's not good enough. <laughs> That's behind the scenes with Jake. Now is it time for trivia, fellas? Yes, let's do it. Jim, my boy, do you have any fancy fun trivia you'd like to impart on these goons tonight? Uh, yeah, so Richie the Mouth Tozier. Mm. Many of his lines were, or one-liners were actually improvised by the actor. And it shows. But <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do like, so here's the thing. I'm going to do that weird gurgling sound because it's not descript any one creed or nationality because everything he says is like either racist or uh, I guess later on he gets a little more charming. The scene in the, when he's like, you're like the brother I never had. Well, that he's actually kind of amusing. Yeah. yeah. And not to speak ill of the dead. But when he gets older, it seems like he doesn't do any real voice work. Yeah. <laughs> he's just Jim Carrey. Right. <laughs> But it's all good. I Do you want to do a return fire? And I will just ping pong back and forth with trivia? I don't have many more. Okay, well, <laughs> just, we'll go as we go. The made-for-TV in India, it was called Whoa. And you'll be surprised to know that Joey Lawrence wasn't the Pennywise clown. Oh. <laughs> Blossom. <laughs> you got anything else, Jimbo? Alice Cooper was considered for it before... Uh... The beautiful Curry. son of a bitch. Ooh. Yeah, that's one of mine. That's I, I my mean, favorite one. When they say considered, I don't know. Like they had it in their mind, considered maybe, but for sure. And Stephen King's a big uh, classic rock fan. I mean, he yeah. so much so that ACDC did the soundtrack to Maximum Overdrive, which he directed. So I feel like that's his. And also, he wanted Bruce Springsteen to star in that film. So I feel like this was his pipe dream of like, yes, it would be so great if Alice Cooper was Pennywise. Which honestly, I could see. It's weird, but it'd be a completely different performance, but I could see it working at least decently well. But I mean, Tim Curry is so good in this. This is the Tim Curry show, right? Yeah, we kind of talked about it where if Tim Curry wasn't in it, this isn't even worth watching. 100%. You agree, Jim? Yeah. Okay. Pennywise also appears in the book, The Tommyknockers. One of the people is traveling through Derry. And it's possibly a hallucination, but there's a sighting of Pennywise. It's in between the original 60s and the 80s, so blah, blah, whatever. Also, he's referenced in Dreamcatcher. There's graffiti that says Pennywise lives, and he's also referenced by name in Insomnia, 11 and Gray Matter. Boom. Stephen King, you're so clever. Yeah, uh, James Franco did not mention Pennywise in the Hulu adaptation, unfortunately. He did not. Uh, that'd be a, a great scene. Yeah. Yeah. It was good, though. Good show. The only way that I think that it would be appropriate because of James Franco would be if it was Pennywise, the band, and then he started doing Bro Him. Pennywise was on the grassy knoll. Yes. That'd be so <laughs> dope. Whoa. <laughs> we got a soul patch and a backwards cap. Jim, do you have any more trivia? No. <laughs> Let me regale you with this. In 2005, King was on Conan O'Brien, and he talked about being on a flight with a guy in full Ronald McDonald makeup, who said he was from Clownland, and he was very off-put by it. That's not the substance of the movie, but he also thought about just children and what they're most afraid of, which is interesting when you think that his motivation, because apparently he used to like write stories and read them in front of the class, which is kind of similar to Bill when he's doing his little oration at the barons in this 
adaptation. So to think that he was a child writer, I would be really interested to see if he ever did any clown writing at that time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. So Stephen King described his literary prowess as the literary equivalent of a Big Mac and fries. I think we can all agree that's pretty dang good. Yeah. Not gonna not gonna keep you going in life. It's not gonna satisfy the soul, but it's you know the the heart. Well, it's probably it's filling not very it with, good for yeah, you. <laughs> not good for the heart, but it's like you know it's distracting for the heart. Let's say that. Yeah. He said that without writing as a release, he probably would have OD'd on quote dope or booze or crashed his car. But uh, he also this was weird. Said it wasn't outside the realm of possibility that he would climb a clock tower. And use a carbine on people. This was from a 1990 interview. I was like, Jesus. This is definitely a pre-Columbine interview, my friend. That was dark, brother. Wow. (laughs) In his childhood, he had a scrapbook for a child murderer, or a a mass murderer, rather, Charles Starweb. And his mom was very worried about, oh, are you crazy? Is this? And he says that he had the scrapbook so he could see the guy's face and study it so he could know that crazed look so he could defend himself in the future. And I think that that, experience was very informative for this book when he has the photo album both in the book with Georgie but then also with Mike Hanlon and his dad's book. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Tell me I'm right. Tell me how clever I am for finding some trivia on a very easily accessible <laughs> interview on YouTube. So clever. I agree with you. I feel like that could that could have some effect on it. Yeah. For sure. He, apparently, his mom thinks that his dark ideations and writing came from the fact that he saw a friend get hit by a truck or not a truck a train rather and die as a child he's like i don't even remember that you know what he does remember is his mom talking about how they had to pick up the body parts in a peach basket (laughs) which is probably why so many children and people are dismembered either in this or in his other works wow the more you know and my last one oh he compares bullies to jackals and coyotes that is a very apropos comparison, especially when you think of the horde mentality. You look at you know books like Carrie. It's a horde. It's not just uh, what do they call them? The Nev beggar. But what is it? I don't know. Mm, I hashtagged it once. It's on the tip of my tongue. Jim, do you have any closing remarks while I try and find the thing? <laughs> Bullies in Carrie. <laughs> Let's see if it comes up. Ah. Uh, well, it's, I don't need their names. I need the title of the group. <laughs> you dang fool! Keep going, Jimmy. What no, do you think? No what do you think you found so successful about the actual book? Yeah, it's probably the same thing that makes all of his books. He's really good at the world building aspect and describing Maine. Right. Mainly. If you look at the stand, I think that was one of the best parts of the stand too. Mortimer just... Snurd. It's not in the. I didn't. You can look at my thing. It didn't come up. I just remembered it because I was like, it's something stupid. Anyway, Jim, please do go on. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's great. So we, we often talk about his lack of endings. <laughs> but yes. And we've talked about this before is it's very much for me, at least it's, it's the journey is the destination for him. Right. So when looking at like the book, I really enjoyed the historical parts that they read about. Those are the best parts of the book to me. Like all the little side stories of like what happened years and years and years ago, not even having to do with any of the main characters. And I found those parts more interesting than a lot of like what happens in the present. Yeah. I think it all all builds on itself. All the history behind it itself and the town and bringing the town to life as the villain too. Right. That was, I think that's, he does, he's great at that. 
Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Now, do you guys both find it frustrating that when you go back to the historical stuff, you have the Bonnie and Clyde thing, you have the gas works exploded, you have these monumental bits of history in this town, but then does it almost seem like it's done away with or kind of contrived when the modern ideation of it is like the teenage werewolf? I mean, you it feel like it's almost silly without being condescending. I mean, I, I think that it's meant to be somewhat silly because it's through the perspective of an evil clown. But do you get my point? Uh, Yeah, but he talks about where it always ends on something really big and bad happening at the end. So all those like really big m- moments that you're referring to haven't come into place. So like that's when the factory explodes. Yeah, the ironworks. And the ironworks. Yeah, yeah. So something at the end to close everything out is like some big, massive amount of suffering that kind of seems like we don't get to see that because they kind of stop it. They stop the it, season yeah. finale, if you will. Right. Now, I have a thesis about it. It should be a trilogy. And what I mean by that is the childhood version should be the first issue. The adult version should be the second. And then the history should be a prequel because I think that it is full of substance and it is wrought with it and it's very enjoyable, but it is enjoyable more if you're a completionist. And I feel that it did not add to the story as it was going on. But as a supplemental material, I think I would have enjoyed it way more. Yeah, I would love to see that. Yeah. And so I have to ask you, Jim, when it comes to the characters in the book, did you assign yourself to any one of the characters? Were you like, oh, I'm such a bill? Or (laughs) did you just kind of watch as like a fly on the wall? No, it was more like a fly on the wall. Chad, did you subscribe yourself to anyone? Um, Not really, but I think I would be Richie. Not really. You're the Richie, huh? Not really. Like, I'm not that funny, but I always don't really care as much. And I'm kind of just jokey about everything. I don't really get scared as much. And he kind of uses like laughter and stuff just to kind of make it go away. Yeah. But uh, yeah, not as in the comical sense. (laughs) It's kind of (laughs) weird. It's very very interesting. I would never have thought you that way, but I could see it. I mean, knowing you as a person, knowing how, like, we get along very well because in my less audacious moments, I'm very much a dry wit and kind of like talking out of the side of my mouth and we can kind of bond on that. So I could see it. Yeah, it's kind of hard because I I guess I'm saying like deep down the way he kind of deals with like the trauma. That's fair. Of everything. I think I'm more like that. But also, like, when you don't want to do something, you don't make it quiet. You n- acknowledge it, but then you do it when you know it's the right thing. And that's the kind of thing he does. He, he gripes, but right. he still does it. Right. You're a very dutiful guy. Right. But how he, like, projects it out as being so comedic and stuff, that's definitely more you, not me. <laughs> yeah, which is weird because as I'm reading the book or listening to it or however you want to go, I'm like, I don't know who I would be. I mean, I guess I'd probably be Richie because I'm the loudest. But in my, like, heart of hearts... I think we all know like I, I fancy myself a very introverted person like my wife when we first moved in together hated the fact I could sit in silence for like 12 hours at a time right like very much it's a concerted effort for me to talk to people and stuff so at first I was like that kid's way too over the top it's nonsensical but then when you kind of see those more vulnerable moments and especially when you get to the climax of the book yeah you're like this is a deep interesting character that's so much richer than I thought the whole freaking book and I was like, okay, I could be, I could be Richie too. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, the end of the book, Richie definitely gets a big like spotlight, which is cool. Yeah, it's awesome. I could see myself. At, what I, who I assigned myself to the most was probably Ben. You know, I was bullied a lot as a kid. I was husky. At but you know, when it came to uh, push comes to shove, I'll fucking throw down with you. And that's what's always almost, weird. Is like I've always been pretty heavy, but I've never been bullied for being fat. This weird animal magnetism you have. 
I guess so. <laughs> so going to the budget of the film, $12 million in 1990s money, which I think is over $20 million today. Hmm. Not bad. It's all for the spider at the end. Oh my God. <laughs> the worst. That spider looks worse than oh. the arachnid gremlin in the new batch, if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. So it's competition. It came out on 11 18 90 and 11 20 90. 11 16 90, The Rescuers Down Under, Rocky Five, and Dances with Wolves. Huh. Some good competition. And yeah. then on 11 21, Predator 2, Robot Jocks, and another Stephen King work. Dirty birdie, it's misery. Oh, that's a great one. Misery beats the fuck out of this movie. Oh, for sure. Have you seen it, Jim? No, I haven't. Oh what? my god. What? Oh. Where she clubs him? Oh, uh, well, wow. I've, the foot? Yeah. 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 Okay, I've seen that part. Well, for yeah, sure. you've probably seen scenes <laughs> just because scenes. it's so great. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. That's iconic. Grown up Mary Beth Dimberg, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so yeah, if I can sit home and watch this for free, I'd probably do that compared to most of these. But I will defend Predator 2 is fucking legit. Not enough people give it credit. No, right. it's it's still pretty good for like a Predator movie. Hell I, yeah. I like it. But I also remember loving Robot Jocks. And I know it's a terrible movie. Yeah. But <laughs> at the time, you're like, yeah, giant robots. I think at the end, they shoot like the fist into like the other. Oh, it's great. Who could ask for anything more? Right. But especially you and I being like Kaiju and Gundam right. kind of guys. Yeah, hell yeah. So part one was the fifth highest rated program on Sunday, November 18th, with an 18.5 rating that was watched in 17.5 million households. Part two was the second highest rating program on a Tuesday, November 20th, with a 20.6 rating that was watched by 19.2 million people. Hmm. Can you fathom that many people sitting around a TV to watch this movie. There was a lot less options then. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. In 1990. One of the yeah. things we talked about with our good friend Clayton Cogswell, director of I Had a Bloody Good Time at House Harker, is digital kind of killed everything because now yeah. everybody can create and there's so much content. I'm overwhelmed. Yes. How often do you watch something you're like, ah, it's like a chore. Like, Fuck, I felt like starting season three of Stranger Things was like an, an undertaking so I could just <laughs> get it out of the way and people would fuck off. Now, I liked it, but just the act of starting it didn't feel like, oh, I'm excited. It's like, oh, I better watch this so some asshole doesn't ruin it, which they did on <laughs> Facebook. Yeah, fucks. <laughs> She's been unfriended. Let's move on. 192 <laughs> minutes. Whew. You can definitely trim it. Ooh. Oh, what do you yeah. think? Well, it's funny because they, they crammed so much stuff in from the book. Yep. So many little things that they're like, oh, this is clever. This is from the book and it had no impact. Yep. But... Yeah, they could have. This is one of those where they could have done their own own thing a little bit. Right. I also think the book could have been heavily edited. <laughs> Absolutely. I think the book could be half as long, if not more, because there are so many things that are just way too far. Like a book with a just the shape shifting is very interesting. A book where the enemy is the embodiment of misanthropy and chaos. And, and he has this duality that, that's interesting enough. Just the time leaping and people having amnesia about their childhood is enough. And you put it all together and it's, what is it? What did I compare it to? Sushi, New York cheesecake, <laughs> and baby back ribs. It's just, it's too much all at once, in my opinion. I think that this is clearly inflated to hit that runtime. It seems to me what they did is they cut out and they created a bare bones like this is what we need to get. We need to get kids to kill a clown. We need to get adults to kill that same clown who's a spider or whatever, right? And then they got it as bare bones and then like, okay, now we can pad it a little bit to make sure we're hitting the time so we get the commercial breaks because you have to remember, if you're watching this, there are tons of times where it fades to black. That's a commercial break. 
So if you have to factor in what they were doing in the editorial process. This is not an altruistic piece of pure art they handed on a giant altar to you. This was streamed through ABC on a TV with, you know, Tide and Geico insurance in between. I think Geico was as big in the 90s. Mm, I don't think so. Uh, they existed, but I don't know how big they were. They didn't yeah. have the clever gecko at this point anyway. Directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. You want to know what else he did? I do. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Which you like, I don't. Yep. Friday, Continue. <laughs> Friday, <laughs> God damn it. Friday Night 2, three episodes of the 80s Twilight Zone, two episodes of Max Headroom, one episode of Baywatch, and three episodes of what I think, not to speak for all of us, <laughs> the best TV of all time, the 90s version of Flipper. Oh. Yeah, I forgot that existed. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> that, it hit me in the fucking face when I was on IMDb. He was also uncredited as Michael Myers in the first Halloween, oh. and he was the ghost in another interesting work, The Fog. Interesting. Very nice. He felt that part two wasn't as good as part one because the adults weren't as magnetic to watch, especially when it came time to the end battle. I think that's very clear. Children evoke a certain sense of sympathy and this like paternal or maternal instinct where you want to protect them. You don't want to see them, you know, have these terrible things get befall them. When Eddie dies in part two, I was like, kill him. I want to see his blood. <laughs> it's like you hugged him to death, you wiener face. But anyway, when ABC first announced that they were going to be doing the film, it was originally going to be a 10 part miniseries directed by George A. Romero, who was like, uh, Fuck y'all, I'm going to do a remake of my own movie, which was Night of the Living Dead from 1990. And he also had another situation where he was going to do a miniseries for Pet Cemetery episode one of Slasher Podcast. <laughs> uh, but then he had to back out for that for other reasons. So let me ask you this. If it was a, an 11-22-63 style Hulu event, a thousand times better. Yes or no? Oh, yeah. Yeah. One thing that he does decently in the book is he puts... The way that his chapters are phrased, there are climaxes periodically throughout that I think could work better in short episodic content. And then because, like you said, the overarching story is so simple and kind of basic that by the end of it, you're like, okay, it's just a story about kids killing an evil entity. That's all it is. Right. I feel like if you could add a little bit of blood and gore to this, it would elevate it so much. But since it was on TV, it kind of falls flat. And I'm not saying you need blood and gore to have the scare, but made for TV it's very hard to get that crisp like scare out of you with that kind of budget. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you can do, if you have a tremendous budget, you can do much more visceral, intense camera angles and contrast right. and those things to make it scary. But I think he said it best himself. He said they had champagne dreams in a beer budget. Yes. Yeah. So that's a great you, quote you, for this movie. <laughs> yeah. You can't have like, both ways. Like one of the things we like about movies like Evil Dead, gore and stuff through the roof, the budget kind of low. Yep. But that's okay. We can deal with that. Do you agree, Mr. Jim? Totally. Yeah. I think the budget to like all the all the practical effects like claymation <laughs> just oh, ruined yeah. it for me. <laughs> you yeah. ruined it? Yeah. Totally. I thought it was so charming. <laughs> but see, we have very different opinions, but I like it. I mean, at first I laughed. I was like, oh, okay. Like yeah. the drain and stuff like that. And like the rippling. Front flip? Oh yeah. No, the the coming out of the for Eddie. With the tiles. Yeah, yeah. the tiles. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was at first I thought it was funny and then as stuff kept going on, I was like, like going through the pipe and stuff. I was like, Neh. it's a little quaint, but I mean, I think that I, it has a certain charm to it where I'm like, ah, this is fine. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, I have not watched the new it. I know it's blasphemy. I've had literally people be like, what the actual fuck? I'm a completionist. I was not going to watch a movie and then not see the conclusion of it for two years. Not happening. <laughs> 
Like, <laughs> it, I imagine myself in the 70s and they're like, oh, you want to see Star Wars? It's changing the world. And then I'd be like, okay. And they're like, oh, but hold up. Empire Strikes Back is going to come back out in two years. And I'm like, okay, well then maybe I'll wait. And then they'd be like, okay, but then two years after that, there's going to be a huge cliffhanger <laughs> and you have to wait another. I'd be like, no, not happening. So that's where I stand. The new one kind of has like a pretty solid ending. I mean, obviously there's another, but you know, just like in the book and in this one, they kind of like finish it with injuring him extremely bad and they kind of then move to growing up. So there is a, it's not such a cliffhanger that you're like, oh, I need to see it immediately. Yeah, I have a hard time with it. I mean, I like that in this one at the end, like that scene, and we'll get to it. Trust me, we'll get to it. When Bill's like, we should keep pushing. We should fi- we should kill him. Right. And they're like, me. I like that he has that desire because in the book, it's always, it's kind of like, okay, well, this is good enough. Right. And he's literally in this, he begs them to help him kill it. Yes. And I think that I had a hard time because it felt so anticlimactic because of that. Tell me what you think of this. In the book, you find out that it is laying eggs. Yep. Would it be that bad that at the first one, they kill it and one of the eggs hatches and it's young and it's virile and it's fucking pissed and it's trying to get revenge for mama. And that's what comes back in the 90s or the 80s or whatever. Yeah, that could have worked. Hell yeah, it could have worked because I'm a goddamn <laughs> genius. <laughs> I'm not a genius. Written by Tommy Lee Wallace and Lawrence D. Cohen. You might recall that he wrote Carrie. He quit because he was upset that it wasn't going to be a 10 episode miniseries. And he was like, you can suck my nuts. <laughs> he got a call to do a man or the play or teleplay for this before the book was even published. Wow. He got a call from Stephen King's uh, publisher who said, oh, yeah. And he, apparently he only read 100 pages of the original ma- manuscript before he signed on. So that's less than 10% of the book. Yeah. What else did he do? Do you know? Lawrence D. Cohen. Yeah. You should look up his IMDb. It's kind of exhaustive. Oh, but right. he worked on several Stephen King properties well regarded in the industry Any of the good ones no because there's only well, a carry <laughs> yeah carries i mean it's as close as you get king said in an interview i was hands-off in the making of it because basically hope you guys do a good job i wish you well <laughs> which after maximum overdrive you done the yeah, right thing pal very good do you agree or would you have liked his dirty little fingers in this oh hell no his, no. his cokey little fingers in this <laughs> nice underneath the nails yeah music by richard bellis who did one episode of star trek deep space nine and that's where my interest in him stopped <laughs> shall we get into nicknames motherfuckers let's do it this is going to be exhausting and just as a forewarning what we are doing <laughs> Is we're just going to do for the character, not the actor. Tim Curry. It's we just Tim Curry. This is a guy I will I petition humbly to the court. He is the star of this. I don't want to besmirch him in any way. I don't want to call him Frankenfurt. I just want to say Tim Curry. Timothy Von Currievich, the I'm best. Totally fine with that. <laughs> I and I agree a hundred percent. One interesting thing, if I may, about Mr. Curry. He did a voice of the character Z- uh, Zimbo in All Real Monsters. If you haven't watched All Real Monsters, it's delightful. It is. If you watch that show, you would swear he would be the Gromble, the somewhat transvestite headmaster <laughs> who clear he seems based on Dr. Frankenfurter. Right. But he doesn't do that. Hmm? He does the guy who talks like these. <laughs> it's very interesting. Highly recommend it. Also, he was Kung Cobra in Wonder Pets. Huh. Do you want to know how he got into voice acting? How? Helen Hunt's dad. The chick from Mad About You, her dad had him play Satan or the snake in Adam and Eve when he was working at Hanna-Barbera. Interesting. And so every time Tim was in town, he's like, hey, you got any stuff? And he'd audition just like everybody else. Wow. And this awesome stage and, and film actor became a prolific voice actor. Dude, legend. 
Oh, with oh, the darkness. Love it. So good. It's. I want a whole movie just with that character. Fuck, wouldn't that be dope? Yeah. You know what would be great is if we just had a movie where it was like Pennywise meets the guy from Clue meets the concierge from Home Alone 2. Oh. It's, it's a master class <laughs> of all of his right. characters combined, right? <laughs> Fun fact. Did you ever notice in Home Alone 2, Kevin McAllister scares the concierge with a clown reference to it. Oh. Bing bong boom. Isn't our president in that one as well? Not, not my president. <laughs> not my president, number 45. He said, quote, I'm fascinated by horror villains. I enjoy Lon Chaney. In some ways, I think horror movies have got a little too far away from the mind. Basically saying that reliance too much on prostheses. Mm-hmm. He was very wary of even doing this because of being the darkness and legend with the huge horns and the like, the whole chest piece and everything. He wanted to simplify. And if you look at the progression of the facial design, he was actually an integral part of making Pennywise, not just playing Pennywise. Does that impress you? Yeah, for sure. All right, Shania Twain. <laughs> uh, wait, that's the reverse because she's not impressed much. Anyway. He said, quote, I personally think what's most terrifying is the moment, the decision behind someone's eyes when they decide to kill somebody rather than the pint of blood or the pound and a half of latex. Right. And I agree with that, too. Like, I, I'm not a huge person. I don't need a ton of gore right. to, like, really get something across. I agree with that. I love per- good performances. Right. Like, Jim, I think you can agree you're a big fan of the Raimi-verse. When it comes to Evil Dead, chick, you know, in the basement who's locked in there. Is it scary because she's gross looking or is it scary because she's truly like haunting and you are in this perplexing position of like, if I kill her, I kill my friend. Also, she can do violence upon me. Yeah, for sure. It's the enigma, it's right? The enigma, yeah. And the performance based on his discussion of like the moment where you see somebody's mind change. Do you feel like he did that in this movie? Because I think there's a few great parts where he conveys a comedic clown turning into a monster. Whereas from what I've seen of the new one with Bill Skarsgård, he's just evil. Yeah, I mean, he definitely, because he's absolutely comedic in his facial expressions and his voice. And then he just, that little switch is the best part about him, I think. Absolutely. Like even going to the uh, the sheets in the very beginning when you have the, the joking and then you see that sneering scowl. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of impressive that we're talking seconds into this show. They show him right away. There's no build. He's the first character you see. You see him before you see Bill Dembro, for Christ's sake. Yep. And I think that it speaks to the caliber of his character and his acting potential. The kids were astonished by him. He talked about when it comes to prostheses and special effects, he said one sacrifices the human element at great risks. But this is obviously from an actor's viewpoint. Again, like this very eloquent phrase where he's just talking about you can add all the accoutrement, you can put in the glitz and glam, but if it's not an actor, it's not great. And think of how many times, especially in modern horror, we sacrifice the human element, which is what makes horror horrifying, is the human element, right? I'm yeah. going to calm down. I'm. This is the Tim Curry <laughs> show. I have more notes on him than anybody else, so please bear with me. The character is based on Ronald McDonald, Clarabelle, and Bozo. You can definitely see it in his makeup. Jim, what do you think of his makeup? It's great. It's just ab- absolutely great. The teeth part was okay. Which teeth? The leopard teeth or the sharp teeth? The sharp teeth. Yeah. Do and you it, like the leopard I, teeth? personally I like the leopard teeth and not a huge fan of the sharp teeth yeah the sharp teeth are a little off but it's alright Chad what do you think of the makeup I liked it for the time period I think it worked perfectly fine 
and I agree with the teeth. They seemed like kind of overly big and couldn't quite fit in his mouth. Yeah. So he didn't even get to open it very wide. Kind of looked a little weird. And I think it's also the way it was shot. It was always a static shot. Right. It's not very static dynamic. a shot, and then they kind of just faded out yeah. too. So it's it was like an ending shot. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's a fine punctuation mark, but when you think about it in the context of TV, you want to send the people off to commercial with a vivid image, bring right. them back from commercial on something else. Right. So, but I, I think a fade to black would have been better than also just like the blurry phase out white. He talked about during the first five days of filming, there wasn't a single day where the makeup was the same both days. Sometimes he had tiny little things that evolved like the shape of the mouth, eyebrows, and he said that that was actually the hardest thing to nail down. Hmm. When you think about it, if he had really harsh eyebrows, it would become static, right? right? If it was always in an angry scowl, well, he can't emote properly. If it was always in a peaceful sense, it would just be weird wrinkles in his face, especially with that kind of primary white. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. All right. Costume and makeup designer Brad Mixon. I think I have that right. Whatever. Point being, he hadn't read the book. He only read the first few paragraphs from his brother's copy, who was actually a big fan. And he said he was going for the clown version of Lon Chaney's Phantom of the Opera, which is fascinating because who did I just reference with Tim Curry when he had his quote? Lon Chaney. Yep. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That was a Ronald McDonald reference. Thank you very much. <laughs> they used acrylic paint and glue. And so one of the big problems they had was sweat blisters. Oh. They'd have to pop it, deflate it, seal it over, and go again. <laughs> because of the latex, it didn't sweat through. Wow. So uh, just imagine, have you guys ever seen water come through drywall that's painted? Yes. <laughs> exactly <laughs> like that. Yeah. On someone's face. Crazy. He thought that the deadlight effect was going to be hokey. So he used the minimal that he could do. Um, he, when it's the silver to the forehead, it was supposed to be like furry spider underneath. And he's like, no, we're going to do the deadlight, but we're going to do it in a very simple way. Less is more. So it's just the radiant light and he runs away. What do you think of that part? I personally, that's one of my favorite effects. Way better. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? Yeah. What furry spider underneath is yeah. what you said? Like, like maybe the abdomen of like a tarantula kind of. Yeah. That would have been terrible. No. And when I was going through the book, I never pictured that spider to be like a tarantula. I always had it in very uh, thin and wiry legs that Lanky. were very like slimy and stuff. Right. Perfect. I'm glad we're all on the same page. <laughs> we're ha- we have, we've gone through group trauma together. So that's how we got here. <laughs> All right. Keeping going. Referring to the makeup to an certain extent, you all have to work much more broadly in order to register it all. And that's interesting. What he's talking about is because he has all this extra prostheses and makeup on, he has to be even bigger. But he's also being a clown who is bigger than the average person. So it's a huge amount of extra effort to emote. He does a great job. Yes. I love everything that he does in this movie. (laughs) I just want him and his clips, and that's it. That's, there's a master shot on uh, oh, really? YouTube. It's just a super cut. And <laughs> I almost started with that, and I was like, nope, because that's the payoff for the entire thing. Right. Yeah. He said the most fun of every day was tearing off. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I can't imagine why it wouldn't be. It's got to be like an orgasm for your face. Oh, God. It's like when you get a new electronic device and you peel off the little stickies. Jake wouldn't know. Yeah, I was about to say, don't talk about new electronic devices in front of me spending 10 hours on the phone with my cellular device provider. Anyway, there's a myth that it's his actual hair. Not true. Mix it, uh, Bart Mixum. There we go. That's the name. Actually, there's footage of him making the wig. So, sorry, gang. Tim Curry did the voice of one of the characters in Duckman and Pennywise is a character on the show. That Ooh. is all I have on Timothy Curry, the man, the myth, the legend from legend. Let's move on. Florence Patterson played Mrs. Kirsch. The only point I want to mention about Mrs. Kirsch is that 
allegedly Stephen King came up with the name Mrs. Kirsch from visiting the set of Empire Strikes Back with, uh, with director Irvin Kirshner, who they had nicknamed calling him Kirsch when he was visiting the set of Shining. That's all. I thought hmm. it was interesting. She doesn't need his own fucking thing. Captain Hanscom, he doesn't need his fucking thing. Who does? Bill Denborough. Stuttering Bill. What are we calling him? I host Stutters. over. <laughs> yeah, I also. I was going to go with Baldy. Baldy. Oh, because he's Ponytail. not bald? Yeah, because I think it's funny because he's got a ponytail. It's terrible. That ponytail is irredeemable, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really bad and very distracting now. Like it didn't age well. It did not age well at all. <laughs> it's like a mullet from hell because it's it, like a completely normal looking haircut with a ponytail attached to the butt of it. Yeah, it's very long too. Awful. It's also, it's a, it's a hazard. It is dangerous. <laughs> I don't want to stand next to that man on an escalator because of this hair. Yeah. <laughs> so what was it, Baldy? Sure. The guy who played him, the adult version, Richard Thomas, was in one episode of Tales from the Crypt. He also has the voiceovers for Mercedes. That's fun. Hmm. He has two tiny hearing aids because of 50% of hearing loss caused by autosclerosis. And he speaks some Chinese, having majored in it in Colombia. Wow. There you go. <laughs> Try to have something fun to say about each of these people. His child counterpart was in all 57 episodes of Sequest 2032. I remember that show. Never ending story two. Ladybugs. You might recall he was in Sidekicks with Chuck Norris. Yes. And unfortunately in 2003, he killed himself. Yes. Uh, which is sad. <laughs> it all kind of odd. He went to prom in 1995 with Brittany Murphy, who also died super young. Yeah, that's that's strange. Dark. Don't like that. And he didn't even leave any note or anything, right? It's like a mystery of why he committed suicide. Yeah. I was originally- Other than probably depression or something, but yeah. What was I going to say? Probably Pennywise, but- <laughs> Yeah. He got a call from Mike Hanscom and he's like, no, <laughs> go into the bathroom. That's dark. I shouldn't be making jokes about beep, somebody beep, actually Jake. going. Yeah, I don't feel good about it. I was trying to make it light and like, oh, we're going to laugh about this and move on, right? And I was like, no, nah, it's getting worse. I'm sorry, gang. That's not cool. Uh-huh. He did a voiceover in Pet Cemetery 1989. First episode of Slashers. Check it out. It's real good. Kind of holds up. Not really. I should do a remastered version. John Ritter as Ben Hanscom. Haystack titties. That's what I would like to call him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He died on. I also felt like he wasn't even that fat. He's not good. No. The kid is good. The, the kid's good. Great. Yeah. I think we're friends with him on Facebook, if I remember correctly. Really? Yeah. Mr. Brandon Crane. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, the kid's not fat enough. Yeah. No. He's husky. He's not fat. Right. The new, the new one. Have you seen? He's fat. Yeah. Kid's fat. Right. Titties. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So I guess oh, you titties is inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Shame. Shame. Perky, I, I love him. Uh, now, because of his, <laughs> oh, because of Jim's lurid reaction, I want to call him Jiggles. <laughs> Unfortunately, okay. John Ritter died September 11, 2003. Another. The second most tragic, tragic thing to happen on that day. He was in Problem Child and Sling Blade. Here's a fun fact. His dad, Tex Ritter, was in 74 different cowboy films and was in the music department for 84 freaking cowboy films. <laughs> yeah. Blows my mind. And his son was on Three's Company. Wow. That's a big contrast. <laughs> yes. Uh, the kid version, he called working with Steve Curry a uh, master class. He says you can't help but feel what he's wanting you to feel. I thought that was great. Oh, yeah. He's talking about the demanding presence this guy had who's sitting there chain smoking in the corner. He comes on stage and you know, despite the fact that your mom's over there watching you, despite the fact that there's these lights and you're in a very safe and comfortable environment, that guy wants you to be scared. You're going to be fucking scared. Yeah, dude, the, I just watched current videos of Tim Curry 
And even with his... I call him Steve Curry. I've been watching way too much Holy Moly. I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> even with the stroke, he still like commands a room. Oh, I have a fun anecdote about that. We'll get into it. Remind me. I'll remind you. Yeah, you will. No, he won't. <laughs> no. He wants to get this over and done with. <laughs> Somebody needs to go memes. Uh, <laughs> so he was talking about... They're doing a new documentary, Pennywise, the story of it, right? And he said when he got the call, all these memories started coming back. And it was like life imitating art where he's remembering his childhood because he gets this call about bringing this thing back. And that was very interesting. So who is this? Uh, Tim Curry? Titties. What is it? Oh, what okay. Jiggles. 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 Young Jiggles. All right. That sounds so much worse. Don't let me say Young Jiggles again. <laughs> Funny because it's like <laughs> basically the same time frame. Almost yeah. exactly like 30 years. It was 27 years to the day from the 1990 it or not to the day to the year. When the <laughs> the new version came out, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that's, oh, makes sense. It always frustrated me. Like of all the fucking things to revisit, Stephen. Like, why wouldn't you do a sequel to it twenty seven years later? Like of all the things that get right, why would you do Doctor Sleep? Nobody gives a shit about Doctor Sleep. I want there's so many eggs. Just do <laughs> another one of those. But this time, don't be on as much cocaine and don't have a child sex scene. That's so much to ask, Chad. Yes, apparently it is. <laughs> Hey, his ghostwriters are really busy, all right? Yeah. <laughs> what is Nicolas Cage doing in there? <laughs> A little uh, Marvel Comics humor for you. <laughs> so Annette O'Toole played Beverly Marsh. You might recall that she was Lana Lane in Superman 3. She was in Smallville. She was in 48 Hours. And she was in another Stephen King adaptation, 11-22-63. Boom. Yes. I remember most from Smallville. You want to call her Smallville? Sure. I watched that. I never it. watched it. Did you watch Smallville? Oh, yeah. I think I watched a little bit, but... And definitely probably with Chad. Yeah, probably. But um, She was Martha Kent. Martha. Yeah, yeah. Why did you say that name? <laughs> okay, yeah, I have seen some of it. Okay, we'll call her Smallville. Her child protege, Emily Perkins, has the same birthday as the fella who played young Stan. She was in Juno. She was in Ginger Snaps. She said that she was teased by the boys on the set, so she took one of their Game Boys and tried to impress them and failed miserably. <laughs> Video games are a man's world, baby. <laughs> she thought that Tim Curry was, quote, a bit of a creep. Because he was a method actor, she said that he would just sit and smoke and leer at the children. That's and kind of I awesome. love that yeah, so that's, much. That's so creepy. I mean, granted, uh, the cigarettes probably led to his stroke, but the fact that he would just sit, I love the image of, like, these plumes of smoke rising. It's like this hazy fog around him. He's just staring at him. <laughs> Harry Henderson played Richie Tozer. You might recall he was in Night Court. He was in an episode of Tales from the Crypt, and he played Dr. Fathead in Lewis and Clark. Another Superman reference. Died April 16th, 2018. He'd opened a speakeasy at one point in his life. That's pretty cool. Hmm. He was a former magician and card dealer. His performance in this was magical. <laughs> Seth Green was a young Richie Tozer. Yeah. I don't need I, his career, dude, prolific. Yes. Like people do not give that guy enough credit for not fucking his life up because he had every excuse to and he did great things. And he's in the first episode of X-Files. Don't forget it. Yeah. Do you have a nickname for Richie Tozier? Oh, I don't know. It's got to be something based off Seth Green, though. Yeah, I think that he was quite good. Uh, I don't know. Richie the racist is kind of what I always thought because in the book, he is dark. I think that he's more racist than Henry Bowers in the book, to be perfectly frank. But that's my opinion. So well, I'll let you think on it. We'll circle back. Do you like the idea of Bill Hader playing him in the new one? I think that is literally oh. the best casting of anything I've seen about the, any Stephen King film ever. Yeah, I agree completely. I think it's probably the best casting I've seen 
recently. <laughs> and what's weird, I had finished it before knowing that Bill Hader was going to be him, if I'm remembering correctly. But I had a, a very vivid image like Bill Hader in my mind of the idea of like that kind of level of impersonation and those things, because that dude, he pulls out impersonations that like out of nowhere when he does these late night talk show circuits and is great. Have you right. come up with a name? No, I haven't. <laughs> but he can also be very serious and reflective. Yeah. Barry. Right? Barry. Exactly. Dude, so good. Have you come up with a name? Racist Richie. There we go. <laughs> I love it. I could have done it better myself. Waka waka. <laughs> Dennis Christopher as Eddie Kasparak. He was in Django Unchained. He was in Deadwood. He was in Star Trek Enterprise. He was in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And he was in Sequest 2032 with the kid who played Bill. Wow. That's all I got for him. <laughs> Adam Freisel was young Eddie. He was one of the Little League kids in RoboCop 2. You might recall the gang that beats the shit out of the shop owner. Do you remember that scene? No. It's fucking great. <laughs> Calm down. He hasn't had any acting credits since 1992, according to IMDb. He talked about what he thinks makes this timeless is, quote, it's really what this movie is about. Kids bonding to conquer something that is larger than them. And he referred to it as trauma bonding. He was the youngest actor, and he said, quote, about this iteration of the film, you get a chance to see the clown as a clown compared to the new one where he's just spooky. That seems to be a very eloquent way of defining the one true gripe I've seen about the new one. Is yeah. In the new one, he's not not just like a silly clown and then gets scary. He's just he just creepy clown. By all accounts. Yeah. Because uh, I've seen the scene with Georgie, and he's just like, blah, blah, he does this weird like clicking speak, and he's he's very, yeah, he's very creepy. I've seen it a couple times. <laughs> you own it, right? I do. We're going to do a goddamn viewing party in this garage studio. Yeah, it's. Uh, I actually like it a lot. They take a lot of the comedic stuff out, but put even more like dark, creepy stuff in. Which I think is great. Yeah. Comedic stuff, when it comes to movies like this, very rarely works very well, in my opinion. Right. And everything from the book that I hate, they kind of took out of the new one. <laughs> no <laughs> so gang great. No. I said hate. Ah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyway, do we have a nickname? Uh, inhaler boy? I don't know. Battery acid. Battery acid. Puff puff. Yeah, <laughs> something. What do you want to call? No, oh, the virgin. Forty-year-old virgin. That's yeah. I still don't. I still don't know if that's what they're referring to. What do you mean? I just didn't get that. Oh, when with he was. him being gay. Yeah. I was just saying he was a virgin. Oh, I th oh yeah. No, oh, we had this conversation gay, before but. we started the podcast where it is kind of interesting. Interesting because in the book he's married to a very overweight woman who is very much his mother. Same thing. She's always worried about him. She can't do anything herself. She's always like, you need to take your medicine, blah, blah, blah. But then in this, they completely flip it because I think they want to reduce characters yep. and they pretty much make him a virgin that he says he's a virgin. He's definitely, I don't know. I feel like in the 90s, his character is very, I don't know, easily like seen as being gay. I think like a, a gay reasons. stereotype kind of a exactly. character. He, the way his hair is coiffed, the fact right. that he talks about, I couldn't have make love to anybody who I didn't love, and I've never loved anybody as much as you, by right. the rule of probability or whatever, you're talking about a five to one male to female ratio. I, I don't know. I, I think that it's fine that it's somewhat ambiguous, but I also really like that they cut the character of his wife because she's completely unnecessary and it overlaps too much. Right. We already have married couples who are infertile. Let's move on. This is a way more interesting dynamic that he is literally castrated by his mom. And even though he's escaped dairy and he's done well for himself, like his contemporaries, he on a social level is still somewhat infantile and kind of repressed. Right. Right. So 
All right. The virgin. The virgin. The 40-year-old virgin. Tim Reed played Mike Hanlon, predominantly a TV actor, was in Sister Sister with Tia and Tamara. Marlon Taylor as young Mike has no IMDb profile picture. Wow. Very minimal TV acting. And he said that they got in trouble for throwing water balloons, getting thrown out of a pool, and dropping things off of the balcony hmm. when they were filming this. So <laughs> there you go. He's the librarian. I don't know. I have nothing better for him. No. Uh, I think we all kind of talked about where the character's kind of flat. So. He's flat in the book, too. Yeah. I feel like you could totally consolidate him. And it's weird. Eddie and Mike could be one character so easily. Yes. Because Mike has those prolific moments where he's clearly being connected to by the turtle. But then Eddie is the one who's the compass in the sewers. Eddie is the one who is the first one to do the battery acid. So he seems to like when he does the battery acid thing, he has no idea that that's going to work. He's imbued right. with the magic of the turtle. So uh, which is not in this movie at all much to my chagrin <laughs> i really wanted a turtle that kills itself with its own puke like Jimi <laughs> hendrix and mama cuss can i get an amen oh the librarian is let's move on richard masseur as stanley uris he was clark from the thing it's all you need to know if you haven't seen it <laughs> go see it he was in risky business my girl licensed to drive with the two Corys. multiplicity have you seen it michael keaton cloned himself it's delightful it's hilarious encino man and i like gr- pizza <laughs> yeah <laughs> he graduated. God damn it. That's number three, right? Yeah. Yeah. He graduated from Yale Film School. And if you checked out last two weeks episode, two weeks ago, uh, Arachnophobia, the sheriff from Arachnophobia would hate Richard Masseur. The Yale joke. Oh, yes. Ben Heller was young <laughs> Stanley Uris. No acting credits until 2019 when he was in Georgie. Did you hear about Georgie? No. no. It's super fun. It is a short that's on YouTube. A Fangoria. Uh, I don't know if they're the ones who put it out, but they definitely promoted the hell out of it. They got the actor who played Georgie to come back and basically he haunts his mom and he does all the gimmicks of Pennywise. His, his makeup is awesome. It's all monochromatic and it's really dark and evil. You know, it starts with his mom playing Fuhrer Elise on the piano. And so the kid who played Stan jogs by, he hears the scream, he comes up, he goes in, the door closes. It's spooky. Some cool effects. I'm not going to spoil too much of it. I will tell you he's wearing a Canada beanie because he's from British Columbia. He said that he thinks that the movie is beloved because of the, quote, relatable characters, which we've all kind of established we kind of were relatable to. He said that working with Curry was, quote, amazing. And he said that the psychological effect that he has on people, and he said at the same time, could have the great uh, comedic aspect of it. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Regarding the suicide of his character, he said that he took the easy way out, but we all can't be the hero type. Yeah, I think that's very good. I think it added something in the book too, to kind of show not everyone came out okay. And it, I don't know. I think it helped the story with him committing suicide. Not like everyone returned seven strong and we're all good. And that's just, everything's coming up roses. Yeah. I feel like, cause if, if all seven of them came back, right. It'd be like, okay, it's going to be a repeat. Right. You know, like, Oh, we're super strong and no, they, they have to have something from right. the very beginning go wrong. Exactly. If I may, Rocky three, he loses to Clubber Lang. He comes back. He beats the fuck out of Clubber Lang. That's the best Rocky movie. Suck my asshole. <laughs> my point is they they don't lose. They win the first one. There's no problem. There is no Rocky one. It starts with Rocky two. So what's the first consequence? Who's the first casualty of war? It's Stan. Stan adds this sense of reality where it's like you think you came out unscathed. Just the idea of what they went through is so scary. Boom. You're already operating the loss. And then it's the question of, how can I do this? I couldn't do it before. How can I do it now? 
And it's the same thing with Rocky Three. Even with Mick, I couldn't beat Clubber. Now that Mick's gone, how do I do it? And here it's even with the, quote, lucky seven in this movie, we right. couldn't do it. How can I do it with one man down? How can I do it with Mike down? How can I do it without my imagination and innocence of youth? I think it's good. Burr. One of my favorite parts of it. The Bowers gang, do we really need to give them nicknames? No. Yeah. Only one, two, and three. <laughs> yeah. So the kid who played young Henry was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Next Generation, and The Crow TV show. Both beloved franchises that were completely ruined by the works that he chose to do. Uh, huh. hmm. Tony Dakota played Georgie Denborough. You should check out Georgie because he returns for it. Quite good in it. Uh, oh, Lonnie, who's one of the girls who teases Beverly outside of the school. She played Laura Harris, who acted in films like, quote, The Faculty. So yeah. there you go. That's a tie back to episode. I think it's four of Slasher's podcast. Jim, Chad, who's fighting eagerly chomping at the bit to do the recapitation for this week? Um, I got it. Jimmy. <laughs> Childhood nemesis comes back after 30 years and beckons the gang to come back and face him one more time. Perfect. That's what the story is, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about. At, at its heart, it is very simple, which I think is why I like it weeks and months removed from reading it because my brain is a bucket of shit that's full of holes and I let a lot of it go. And what I remember is the barest forms of the story, which is a lot more engaging. I was recently at a wedding. I had forgotten most of these people. It was not a sad thought to me at all because they hadn't occurred to me in years. We're talking like a decade. Mm -hmm. To see them was remarkably charming. And I was flooded with memories. And by the time I got home, couldn't remember a goddamn thing. <laughs> that made me relate to this movie so much more. Yeah. If I don't see you guys for two weeks, I forget your names. Who are you again? Uh -huh. What are you doing in my house? <laughs> Can you tell me again about... <laughs> no, I'm not going to go there. Uh, would you please... Start us off on a slay-by-play. And bear in mind, we're an hour into this episode. We are going to fucking fly through this slay-by-play. There is so much that doesn't really matter. We are going to basically talk about the Tim Curry show, what we like about it, and that's it. People, I'm warning you now, we're doing it all over again in September. We're going to be doing the, you know, the new version of it and a review of the new one that's coming out in theaters. So you have a lot it coming and to you. It chapter two. Exactly. Thank you for saying the actual names because <laughs> pronoun confusion is weird. Is it weird that the proper noun of it is it chapter two? Yep. When you think about it. All right, gang. <laughs> I love you all. Please forgive us for what we're about to do to your butthole. Yes. Please bear with us as well because there's just a ton of flashbacks jumping back and forth. It goes everywhere. So let's do what we did talking about Maximum Overdrive because it was the same group. Overall, are you glad that you had this experience? Like, it might not be great. It might be Stephen King's lower work when you talk about the final product. But are you glad you've done it? Yeah, definitely. G coming off the book and so long reading the book or listening to it, I like certain parts that I was like, oh, hey, I got that reference type of thing. Captain America <laughs> yeah. over here. Yeah. 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 And there was a lot of that. And a lot of it was didn't matter for the movie, but I was still like, oh, hey, you know. So there's a lot of that for me. But. I think that at its base level, like the way that they did the screenplay, they consolidated a lot that I liked. They kept it moving. But like I said, it's a little bit padded for my taste because also I never, even in the book, I didn't care about the adults. It's to its disadvantage. I think the kids are way more compelling, the paternal instinct like I talked about. But like you're saying, like I think that while it's padded, I watched at 1.28 speed. It's not that bad. I saved like 30 minutes. I yeah. wish I could have done that on Amazon Prime. VLC mother <laughs> flipper. All right, Chad. 
All right. Are you going to tell us about how terrible the synth is at the beginning that had me literally rip my headphones out? <laughs> really? It is so annoying. And then it gets to this orchestral s- score, but as the title credit of it appears, it's this awful like, synth. And it was so loud. I really just pulled my headphones off and I was like, hold on. It's so hard for me to pick up on like music for a lot of the movies because I, I don't register music like hardly ever. I'm weird. I'm sorry. I know. But anyway, <laughs> it starts out with that horrible music, as you say. Mm-hmm. And what's your favorite Misfit song? Uh, the one about clouds. Clouds or clowns? Clouds. I have no idea. Hmm. Is there one? <laughs> um, <laughs> there's the Devil's. Uh, he, there's a whole album called Devil's Rain, which is another reference. Rain so. and rain comes from clouds. There you there go. There you go. <laughs> That's what I was talking about. And the blood blows down like that. Yeah. See. All right. <laughs> So it starts out with uh, the credit scenes being a uh, scrapbook. Did you like that? I Okay. At the time, <laughs> I think it was probably great. But all this reminded me of was funerals that I've been to where there's always <laughs> some kid who uses Adobe Flash to make a, like, a slideshow of the person's life. Yep. And all the other old people are like, it's so touching. And I'm like, you dumb fuck. That is a template <laughs> on Adobe Flash. Get the uh, fuck out of here. But it was fine. Yeah, I actually wish it did not start this way and just started out with uh, kind of the book with... Georgie. Yeah. It would have been so great and better introduction because we start out with a girl riding a tricycle comes in. Her mom says, Hey, come in. It's starting to rain. Storm's coming. She's about to go in and Pennywise is hidden behind some clothes hanging on a wire. Do you think that this was deliberate? Because I I agree with you. It should be that simple. What I think that they did is they hid that scene a few minutes in for people who showed up late. Because this is not an era of TiVo where you could just press play from when it started. If oh, you were a minute yeah, yeah, late, yeah. you're fucked. And that then you're missing be. this iconic scene. Yeah. Because this is added material. This right. isn't in the book. Right. Well, I mean, there are other murders, but this isn't how it goes. Yeah. And I think they wanted to jump right into the adult section. <laughs> adult section. Ooh, <laughs> it's my favorite part of Blockbuster <laughs> video. If, <laughs> the adults, the adults being the ones to start it off. Because you have the murder and then you instantly have the murder of the girl, basically. And kind of how we talked about it, where it just kind of zooms into his face as he does the crazy teeth. Yeah. And then we have Mike Hanlon. Mike shows Hanlon up, yeah. shows up talking to police, kind of figure out what's happened. And, and he finds like, the Georgie picture. Yep. And he's like, oh, it started again. So then, yeah, I think they kind of wanted that, too. And did you like the Georgie picture? Because to me, it was like the gauntlet is thrown where Pennywise is like, here, this is something only you're going to get. I got you. Like, I am I have I have your number this time. This is blood has been shed. Yeah. like it, it, He's... Putting his foot, he's like, "Hey, I'm not messing around this time." Yeah, and it's clearly to Mike, who's already been investigating him, yeah. which I like because in the book, it's kind of like, "Oh, I had to see 13 people die or whatever before I finally <laughs> yeah. started to do some." Whereas in this, it's like, "Okay, well, only a couple people have died, but also here's something that only we as the Losers Club would know." Right. Boom. Oh, did you love the blue lightning that was terrible? I loved it. Yes. And hold on, real quick, the little girl on the tricycle is singing the Itsy Bitsy Spider, which is Eight Legs, Eight Months, the theme of this month on Slasher's Podcast, which for those of you who don't listen to every single episode, we started off with Arachnophobia, Eight-Legged Freaks, this one. Why? Because Pennywise is this super monster spider from a different dimension, and we have a mystery one coming up for the fourth week of August. Oh, I can't contain my excitement. <laughs> so we then cut to Mike writing in his journal, talking about there's been uh, killings. It started up after 30 years again, so they obviously did not succeed in killing it. Dear diary, I didn't <laughs> kill this clown. <laughs> I stayed back and live alone, and I'm poor, 
yeah. and everyone else is off having fun. Yeah. Did you like how the cop was a complete gumshoe like he was an extra from Dick Tracy? <laughs> yes. He's like, yeah, so you leave the cop work to the cops, you librarian. <laughs> what a book's good for, yeah? <laughs> but the librarian had so much pool with the other cop. He's like, oh, I'll tell you everything about this murder of this child that just happened. I bet this fuckboy's <laughs> favorite song is Zoot Suit Riot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're completely right. And then it cuts to Bill also on a computer. Ooh, it's like they're interconnected through the cosmos by a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Mike calls Bill first, who is writing his screenplay, correct? correct. For a movie that is being filmed in, I don't know. England. 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 Hampstead Heath, England. With his wife, Audra. Which is accurate to the book. I yeah. thought it was good. And like what Jim said, they're not beating you over. I mean, they do get a little long on the tooth to explain it, but they don't... They don't establish the scene with expository information. They lead you into the scene and then they give you the exposition, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like you know, Hampstead Heath, England, where Bill Denbro sits at his you know, word processing machine and types the, it comes through the dialogue, which I like better. Right. And so as soon as Mike calls, Bill gets the flashback of Georgie. Georgie is wanting to play with his brother, Bill. Bill's laying in bed sick. Bill's like, pretty much go away. And then he says, oh, yeah, here, here, I made you a, a boat that you can go float outside. Did you like the paraffin wax being in the basement? Uh, yes, because it does show like a child's fear right off the bat. Exactly. And it's kind of like maybe <clears throat> what would even like attract a creature like it. Kind of like, oh, he's scared. And it's kind of like the sense in the water sort of a thing. Now, Jim, let me ask you this. As far as variants in the book go, would you like it if it felt like it was a more narrow escape for Georgie and then he ends up, you know, pulled into the gutter? My question is basically, for those who haven't seen it, they might not know about the gutter scene, so it would build the tension if, you know, he, there's a, a narrow mist, like, oh, the, like a hand almost grabs him in the basement. Maybe not a hand, but a little bit more darkness creepiness it has to go farther go, go into the corner instead of just grabbing it from yeah. halfway down the stairs or something but there was i didn't rewind it because rewind on amazon sucks but uh yep <laughs> thanks for nothing jeff bezos <laughs> yeah man put all that money to some good use but he had like an audible gulp at the top of the stairs like yeah. i was like Wait a second. <laughs> but that's one of the funny things. Like kids mimic what they see in cartoons so much so that like in truth, he probably didn't wouldn't have done that like organically. But you could see a child doing that because that's what, yeah you know, uh, courage the cowardly dog would do. Yeah. So, yeah, it, if, if, it, if he had to go farther in, it was darker. They couldn't have been way more impactful. And then so after stuttering when he's on the phone, he ends up hanging up with Mike. And then, you know, Audra's like who is it, babykins? And he's like, nobody, wrong number. <laughs> and then he starts packing, packing up all of his shit, which I thought was pretty good. I hate how they come out of this. The kid touching his face, and then it oh. cuts to the actor touching his face oh. in the same way. Yeah. That's the worst. It was it was very, very bad acting. Now here's Or my, bad direction, probably. Yeah. The great trivia from this scene, which I think is probably one of the stronger scenes of the entire film, is the kid who was playing Georgie, Tim Curry said in a Q&A just a couple of years ago that the kid was like, Tim, you're scaring me. And he was like, I'm sorry, but that's what I'm supposed to do. And so the guy <laughs> asks, do you think the child's been in therapy for years? And Tim responds, I hope so. <laughs> that's so great. That's so great. He, he might have had a stroke. He might look kind of gnarly, but that guy's still sharp as a whip. And to see the way he interacts with fans is awesome. Like, yeah, it's a fucking legend. He's still great. So 
Uh, we, you know, the scene is very accurate to the book, I think. It, it, you know, they, yes, he even you know, goes after the arm. Yeah. Right, right, right. I don't think they talk about whether the body's found ever or anything, right? In this? In this. Well, they he goes to the grave, so I assume there's at least some kind of... Remnant. Oh, that's true. So, yeah, the next scene is the grave. Well, I mean, they would have had one anyway, but yeah. Yeah, or at least a marker. Right. Yeah. So then it goes from the funeral to the Losers Club. Then there's Bill with a photo album. Now, the photo album, did you like how I'm going to tear away the facade of the cheap special effects? When the photo album is flipping open, mm -hmm. do you know what that is? They propped it up against a wall and they let the pages fall down and they put it in reverse. Yeah, yeah it works. And it works. That's the thing. Like, I, it's one of the things I love about horror is figuring it out in the fun innovation. It's like you made a fun effect on a budget of zero for that shot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically, you went to Hobby Lobby and you bought a photo album and put it with a bunch of weird pictures. Like, did you notice the fact that there's a picture of the mom holding the dad's belly like he's pregnant? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. <laughs> it is so weird. I paused it and was like, what the fuck is happening here? Uh, um, and the blood was like oozy and goopy. I thought it was great. It looked like a raspberry compote that I've seen on MasterChef Junior. Am I right, fellas? You're right. <laughs> Maybe I said Master Chef Jr. because of the influence of the kids. I don't know. Feeling crazy. Let's go. So Bill tells his wife everything that's kind of going on, kind of that he forgot. And then we go to Ben, who gets called next. And Ben has, he is about to bang abroad, right? Yeah. Yep. Hard. <laughs> and she's an Asian woman of the night. <laughs> yeah. One thing I love is that he tells the driver to recycle his wine bottle. In like this condescending shitty way. And I'm like, hey, bro, we're still trying to deal with that. Like <laughs> too real. <laughs> I love that you see him on the Time magazine cover up on the wall. And he has that moment of lamentation about himself. Right. And, and then he also looks at himself in the mirror and he's kind of has like the sorrow of I am still shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm a, just the shell of a man. Right. And she compliments his body and he compliments her body. He's like, would you believe I used to be fat? Boom. Call from Mike. But in this, he's not like in the book. In the book, he's like super fit. Yeah. In this, he just seemed like a normal dude. Yeah. Not like I'm ripped and I'm an architect and all that. And his stupid fucking vest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're trying to show off your ripped fucking Brad Pitt six pack from Fight Club. Oh my God. Can't unsee it. You don't hide it with an extra layer of a leather vest. <laughs> the fuck are you? Stone Cold Steve Austin? Get the fuck out of here. Yep. So you know who didn't have a six pack? Stone Cold. He drank a six-pack, motherfucker. <laughs> so Ben's flashback, um, he remembers himself introducing him to uh, the students at his class. If I may correct right? you. Well, first, it's the knife scene, and it's very oh, intense, it's, right? Yeah, it's a very short one. Yeah, and then he's like going to commit suicide. Which is better in the book. Yeah, for sure. Because they he, actually carve him up. Seriously. He gets HB. carved in H, yeah, and yeah. Huntington Beach, motherfucker. Oh, wait, Henry Bauer. <laughs> sorry. But then he goes to kill himself. And then that's when he has his real flashback, which I thought was interesting, kind of unnecessary. But I was like, ah, it's kind of if you've never seen it before, and you're like, oh, this guy's about to kill himself. And then you get the safety. It's like that double scare, right? Where let's say the, the killer's shot on the floor and the person takes their mask off and they're just laying there and then they pop out. Yeah. Right. Where you think that you're safe because this guy didn't kill himself and then stands like slitty, slitty, bang, bang. Yeah. So he shuns the lady of the night. Let's get the fuck out of here. Toots. <laughs> I got to get to Derry, Indiana. No, it's not. Pennsylvania. Nope. Massachusetts. Probably. Uh, Maine. 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 Okay. I think an asshole. <laughs> Just making sure. New England. I can't tell. Uh, yeah. 
I can't tell when I'm just being a comedic <laughs> asshole either. Sometimes I take the character too far. So he has a uh, in class and he's getting heckled by Henry. And he like smiles at Bev, right, and stuff like that. And then also they they the teacher does nothing. She sends him to. So she's like, "This no, is what bothers me." She's after like, like the third time of him calling him a fatty and a porky and all that. So she gives him a week of detention and tells him to go to the principal. And then Bowers is like, "I'm gonna fucking murder you, kid." Yep. And she's like, "Whatever." Yeah. <laughs> the escalation is. Hey Henry, you're getting detention. I'm gonna fucking murder you. Okay, now you go to the principal. Is that is it <laughs> very weird? Kind of like how the adults don't really see anything though, right? How they kind of just like ignore stuff. Oh, so you're saying that from this very early stage, Bowers is an embodiment of the personification of evil brought on by it and the deadlights. Well, the teacher is blind to most of the stuff, just like when they say that the parents just can't see anything and they're ignoring most of the bad stuff that's happening. The way you said blinded by. It, I have a song for this. Ready? For this. Uh, Blinded by deadlights. Perfect. Perfect. High five. <laughs> Is that better or worse than my love me eight-legged freaks? I'm getting better and worse at this oh. at the same time. How is that possible? <laughs> Take us away, Jen. But uh, yeah, so right. the the introduction, he this... This is the best of the introductions because it ties together so many characters because after your school thing, he meets Bev. They have a substantive interaction. He escapes Henry. They have a substantive interaction. He hides the tunnel or the tube. He then meets with Bill and Eddie. Bill goes to get the medicine. There's camaraderie there. They talk about how both their dads are dead. Yeah. <laughs> your dad's dead too. Join the club. The losers club. Yeah, after the dam, they're like, oh, you didn't do it. Like We did it. Yeah. yeah. That group thing. I think that this, of all the flashbacks, this is one where I'm like, okay, I don't need another one. Yeah, for sure. At least for not, you know, the three characters that meet, or four characters that meet right here. Yeah. And then when Mike, I think Mike's is good too. But, right. Because uh, I, I like the fact that the way they consolidated with the, you know, all the events of Henry, they just kind of moved past it. They don't have him killing the dog and all that stuff. Right. It, much more simplified. But And this is also where Ben, in that flashback, he writes the love letter to Bev. Or the poem. Winterfire or whatever. My heart burns there too, Jake. <laughs> yep. No, for sure, dog. Stupid, man. I like you too. <laughs> but like, not like that. <laughs> so then the next person who gets the... Oh, wait. So he also gets to see it as well. They He goes down to the swamp and... Papa, can you hear me? He sees his dad. Yeah. His dad waving in the swamp. Love that. And I actually love the transition because it's great because it slowly fades to the clown. We're like, they flash back to his dad and then a couple of his buttons are puffs. puffs. Pom poms. Yeah, yeah. And then his pants and yeah, it's great. And the balloons. The balloons. I love it. it, it, it right. start, it's especially, it's such a staunch contrast between a man in uniform and a clown, even though a clown is in some form of uniform. The, you know, it's such a disparate, like this but is it's something. it's a mockery of a exactly. uniform. I love it. What do right. you guys think about the skeleton? It reminded me of not Are You Afraid of the Dark? Is it Are You Afraid of the Dark? I think it's Are You Afraid of the Dark. There's the ghost at the pool. It's red bloody one and it kind of ruined it for me. Hmm. I know? don't remember that one. Hold on. I don't know why. So what do you think of the effect? Uh, I liked it. It was just kind of funky. It was just kind of just, I don't know. I thought after the clown it was a bit much, but. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, it's season five, episode 11, The Tale of the Dead Man's Float. It is a red skeleton that looks Exactly the same. 
But that looks pretty dope, though. Yeah, that yeah. one looks way better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's probably my favorite episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? It's super gnarly. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. yeah. I'll put some pictures of that. Uh, honestly, I would love to do an entire episode that's more of like a historical based like research thing on Are You Afraid of the Dark? I move a motion. All in favor say aye. Second. Aye. Aye. Third. <laughs> what? <laughs> Let's do it again. All right. All right. So after all this, next up, we go to Chicago where Bev Marsh gets her call. But you see her with Tom Rogan. Yeah. Her uh, very abusive boyfriend. <laughs> Jesus. Not a fan. But again, way downplayed compared to the book. Oh, my God. I think it's only downplayed because they cut half of it out. Oh, really? Well, I mean, the, well, his, I like mean, his his character arc. Oh, he okay, never yeah, comes yeah. back. He's never right. a threat against. They don't need to right, make right, him so right. severe. Versus in the book. I mean... As far as characters getting a comeuppance, I mean, he kind of does, but not really. Like, he just gets scared to death. Boo-hoo. Right. This is a dude who abuses multiple women. He's just a general shit. Yeah. He almost kills another woman. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. her friend. I mean, they had, they kind of had to, that was a lot to put in the movie. They kind of yeah. had to cut all of it. Yeah. But in the book, he beats the shit out of her. And right. legend has it in the new movie he's going to as well. And I'm having a very hard time with it. She also gets him too. So... Okay, which I'll would be have been cool too. to see. It was so comical when she threw the jar and it hits him in the head. Yes. He's like, boink, woo, <laughs> Not a fan of that at all. Like, I granted, I don't want to see abuse in a long winded, awful form, but at the same point, don't make a mockery of domestic violence. It is an awful thing. If you're a man who lays your hands on a woman, guess what? Get fucked. It's my hot take. You're a piece of scum sucking shit, and I hope you get scared to death by some ethereal interdimensional spider, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so her flashback then starts, and she gets, she's making breakfast, the doorbell rings, and it's the note that Ben wrote, but Ben ding dong ditched her. Yeah. <laughs> so he's notes. watching from the bushes. She brings it in and reads it. And uh, her dad asks what it is. I love that it's so quick. Yeah, yeah. This is where you get like the heaviness of her whole life, man. (laughs) Let me check that hymen out. Let me see if it's (laughs) okay. Oh my God. (laughs) Jesus. He's yelling at her to see uh, what's behind her back. And he reads the letter and he's like, gets all mad, tears it up. And he slaps her too. So she gets like two slaps in like two seconds. Two seconds. That was one of the things from the book that they did good, even though it was super short. He was like, I worry about you a lot, Bevy. Sometimes I worry a lot. Right. And he was saying it over and over, and it was so much in the book. Yeah. And super, super heavy. Yeah. Very heavy in the book. I actually think this is a great amount of it. You know, like, I, I it's it's gross and it's awful and it's evil. But I think that, be, especially when you get the flashback when he is Mrs. Kirsch later on, which is a cheap effect to do. I thought that they did pretty, you know, innovatively. Right. I don't need to see him be that evil now because it makes it so much better when Pennywise has his influence over him later. Whereas, you know, in the book, he's fucking terrible and then he's worse. And I feel like you kind of lose that contrast. Like, at least he's trying to, like, he's just kind of crazy and domineering, but then he's like lurid and disgusting and vile. Right. Yeah. So she runs out of the house when her dad's yelling at her to come back. So Ben Baby sees... come back. <laughs> oh, no, wait. Bevy, come back. Bevy, come back. No, you already <laughs> lost it. <laughs> so Ben sees her run away. Uh, and then he kind of like walks up to her as if he just randomly isn't stalking her. I love that she's like, <laughs> you just making a habit to like approach girls in the bushes, motherfucker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not thank you. Not, I'm graciously indebted to you for 
whatever. Yeah. Thanks for the slap. So, treat some people with some <laughs> dignity. So he takes her to the Barrens, where she immediately makes eyes at Bill. Yeah. Super hard. Mm-mm. Very she wants strange. to do the ritual of Chud with his tongue, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Her dad was right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Which they took out a lot of that, too. Like the ritual and uh, the smoky, the underground smoke tunnel thing. Yeah. Stupid. Which was good because we all kind of hated that part of the book, right? Yeah. So no. I, oh, you liked it? I liked it the, where we see where it came from. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked it. I it's hard to kind of describe because it's there's no simple answer to it. I like that there is some form of what's going on. And I also like the fact that of how nondescript it is. That's what I mean. Like less is more. I would rather either had completely nothing, but I like that what you get is still amorphous, right? It's a hallucination that a child is having underground that's brought on by smoke inhalation. So you don't even know if it's the real story. And so when it comes in later and you're seeing everything, I, I think the ritual of Chud is something that I really wish they would have done because it sounds so weird. But when they do it, you're like, oh, fuck, it's not just literally tongues. It is so much more than that. And I always love like it's like Stargate, motherfucker. <laughs> you know where you're like his history. It, it's Osiris. It's these. But then you find out it's fucking aliens. I love that where it's like, here's here's the ritual of Chud. Chud is a Native American blah, blah, blah. But then they expand on it. You're like, oh, shit. It's interdimensional what the fuck? Am I wrong here? No, so I liked the scene in the in the fort house, underground fort house with the smoke, everything. And it is more of mystical and ethereal and you don't know exactly. But it's also like, I don't know what it is. Just the the taking them back to where it all started in this mythical, mystical way, I thought was really cool. And Stephen King does this a lot in his books where characters don't know. It just kind of comes to them and it could feel cheap, but I feel like he does it in a great way. He does it a lot in the Dark Tower where characters just kind of know things in a mystical way because there's always a overseeing power. The shine kinda, or whatever. Yeah, yeah that kind of brings it to them. It's one of those scenes that is awesome. I don't know if it's in the new movie. I don't think it's in the first new movie, but maybe it'll be in the second one or something where we see. I think the trailer kind of showed something for it. But. So I <laughs> think you got him. <laughs> <laughs> the cricket has found its way into the studio. <laughs> I'm not that vegan. I will kill that motherfucker. <laughs> Um, so what do you think? You don't you don't like the ritual of Chud? I think I enjoyed the vision of it. I think the whole like process of how long it took was kind of annoying. Um, the drawing of straws was kind of weird and made no sense. Yeah, and yeah. only one person has the vision anyway. So I was like, whatever. Or yeah, two people. And at the end of the book they're still kind of like, well, it's not really an alien. It's like an interdimensional creature or it's something that's been here for like ever. And it's, I feel like Stephen King didn't even know what to really classify it as. And so it's kind of hard for me to be like, it's just an alien and that's all it is rather than like, Hey, yeah, it's also a giant floating turtle. That's the opposite of this creature. And so I, I don't know. I felt like just the bits and pieces that all come together don't really form a finite like finish. If I may, it reminds me of the blind men and the elephant. They think after this vision, they know it. They think they got it down packed. And then you find out you knew a part of it. There is the turtle. There is this whole other entity in existence 
And it's all combined. As Mike develops year after year and finds the stuff and puts it in the the scrapbook, you're adding to this mythos, and then you're adding the legs to the wall that's the side, to the tail, to the tusks, and you finally get this much broader picture at the end is one of the things I truly liked. Because I think we can agree, if you don't have that kind of rounded perspective through Mike at the end, it becomes kind of lost and confusing where it's like, why was there the flashback to the black spot? Why do I care about this bird? But when you realize that it's there to broaden the perspective of what is a narrow perspective of children, I think it's very interesting. Yeah, I yeah, I can see that. What do you think, Jim? Am I speaking for you or do you agree? Oh, it's absolutely for me. Yeah. But in a good way. Yeah, in a good, good way. <laughs> this is also where we kind of meet every single person in Bev's flashback except for Mike. Yep. So again, we didn't need all these crazy flashbacks. It's redundant, yeah. Right. But the cool part that I actually liked was the sink scene. Um, uh, I love that balloon coming out of the drain. Right. So a balloon comes out of the drain while Bevy's washing her hands or something, or I don't know what she's doing. Oh, yeah. Matthew O'Connor is the name that's listed in it. That's one of the members of the production staff. Oh, okay. That's what the voice says from down the drain. So that's right. All. So she's hearing stuff down the drain asking for help, right? Yeah. So, it, so before the drain, though, Richie and Stan show up and they build the dam to that sweet montage. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The first of many. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then it goes back to Bev in the the bathroom. Good point. That girl. Well, actually, it, we could even add to it because when Bill rides his bike away, you know, hi ho, silver away. She says, "My heart burns there too." Oh yeah. And she looks oh, at him, right. and then there's Ben. Like Ben's, Ben's like <laughs> he's yeah he like awkwardly says goodbye to her too, and she's just staring at Bill driving or riding yeah, it away. It was very heavy handed. Which is sad because <laughs> he has tears running down his eyes and then he has tears running out his under boobs as well. It's <laughs> a sweaty joke. Sorry. <laughs> but it, I compared that to Ralph Wiggum from The Simpsons where Bart is like pausing and he's like, you can see the moment where his heart breaks. <laughs> I like the point with Pennywise, you'll die if you try, you'll die if you try. But the problem is, why is she trying? Right. This is her introduction to it. So she hasn't had any inclination to try anything. Try anything to think about that. That I bothered think, me. Yeah, I think it would also be he can maybe sense the turtle's impact on all these children because there's like a select of them that he can feel his. But you need a turtle to have the impact of the Correct. Turtle. From the book, though. <laughs> Not from the movie. Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> Did the girl's voice coming from the drain remind you guys of Moaning Myrtle? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I listened okay. to an interview with, with Bev in modern day. Her voice is the shrillest, most annoying thing in the world. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're a fan of Ginger Snaps or whatever the hell else she's been in, I'm like, <laughs> not okay. And that's coming from a guy with an, a nasally annoying voice. So I call me a hypocrite all you want, but don't call me a liar. Yeah. So she hears voices in the drain. A balloon comes out, pops, blood goes everywhere. She screams for help from her dad. Her dad, uh, comes in looking, putting his hands all over the blood and doesn't see it. And she kind of smartly goes, oh, uh, it was a spider. And he doesn't abuse her because like women are the fairer sex and they're, right. they should be afraid of spiders. Spiders, eight months, eight legs brought to you by Slash's <laughs> podcast. Check out our episodes on arachnophobia and eight-legged freaks, motherfuckers. Still not telling you the last episode of this month. <sighs> Great uh, Neck New York as Eddie is packing his medicine chest. Yep. And this is... Uh, the character change where it's he's not married so it's his he still lives with his mother <laughs> and she's yelling at him basically everything that uh like what's he doing she needs him she can't he can't leave 
all that. Why introduce the same character when you already have that character? I, I think yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Why would you introduce his wife to just be his mom when he could just be his mom and cut the scene down? Jesus Christ, in the book, it feels like that scene goes on for 20 minutes. Yeah. Oh, it's very long. Who cares? And her voice is so annoying that it was very hard to listen to. <laughs> yeah, well, his place doing her voice is the worst. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Jesus. But it's an annoying character. I get the idea. You're, she's trying to be both repulsive and pathetic. I just didn't like it. And so I really like the mom in this. I like that she was scrawny and not fat because it adds to it. Like the idea of the hypochondriac who's also like a blubbering bleh is kind of sad to me. Like I like the idea that she's like so obsessed with her fitness and health that she's like, she's trim. She's keeping it tight. Mama's keeping it tight on that stairmaster using her uh, thigh master from Suzanne Summers from Three's Company with John Ritter, who has titties in this movie. <laughs> That's right, folks. Jiggles all the way home. <laughs> so Eddie gets into a limo that shows up and you kind of just infer that he owns the limo company because he's saying, oh, sorry to leave you with all this and you'll be fine. I need you to pick up. Who's the actor? It's Al Pacino. Pacino. Al Pacino. That's right. Which is the same in the book, I think. Yeah. Yeah, his wife was supposed to pick him up. Right. His wife. And if you listen yeah. to audio, and I know she's supposed to be this way, but yeah, annoying as hell. Super annoying. But yeah, she was supposed to pick him. She's like, I can't do this. Oh, <laughs> he's gonna cut my face with a chainsaw, Eddie. I saw Scarface, Eddie. What if he's mean to me? It's so annoying. So then it goes to the flashback of the movie theater, right? That's yes. what I was a teenage werewolf. That's right. So I think it's cute. There's a part where Bev cowers into Ben, just like in the book. Eddie accidentally kicks his popcorn onto Henry Bowers, who's down below. Man, I, I really wish that there were theaters that had the balcony, but whatever. I think it's fucking hilarious. And this is why Seth Green is fucking awesome in this <laughs> and why it pisses me off that Richie doesn't get the credit in part two. When he just pours his soda on him and he's like, you guys should look at a mirror if you want to see a horror movie. Suck on these nuts. <laughs> oh, God damn it. That's so great. And then they escape. And then when he does the, are we men or are we mice? And the kids are like, we're mice. mice. Yeah, instantly. I thought that's great, dude. That's That shows that's that. That's the kiddish like <sighs> attitude that's really cool. I think it's awesome. It shows that time has passed. I think it's also people complain a lot online about the fact this doesn't happen over one summer. I couldn't give a fuck less that it doesn't happen over one summer. I like the fact that it infers that time has passed because there's the school year intermixed. Do you like that? Do you like that? Yeah, especially specifically for the scene because the book was so long and it built it up more. Yeah. Like this was a good way to have all of them come together because it was just three of them in the book. Exactly. Right. And they got the shit kicked out of them right after the movie. Oh, yeah. I thought it was good that they it was a good replacement scene or alteration of a scene for them to all come together and yeah show a consolidation that, show that they, they yeah they've, they've become all friends and stuff like right. that you don't need friends Eddie besides your mother <laughs> that's when he comes out of it I love that they even oh no that's his that's actually when they drop him off with his mom and that's she's putting him in the house and she's like yeah. I don't want you I think that's just after this but yeah. yeah they go so they go back to the barons and they're laughing about it yeah. and they kind of they reference that the date that it was Richie that that asked is like oh it's it's a date and then she kiss goes around kissing all of them yeah like a floozy well she kisses richie <laughs> and eddie's you, cheeks but then she doesn't kiss the other cheeks just yet okay yeah but uh, yeah i know i remember because i was like oh this is where they're going to replace the gangbang and then they didn't do it all I was like, okay that's good i'm fine with that i'm not disappointed by that at all <laughs> and this is where we get shower the shower scene yeah. do, do you want, do you want to jimmy you go through it yeah, so you go through it since the, you hated coach, it so much <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, tell us how you hate stop motion animation. The when coach Chad makes and him. I have talked about Ray Harryhausen 
Did I say Rye? Ray right. Harryhausen about a no, thousand times. I don't hate it. I just it caught me off guard because it was the first effect. Right. Okay. That's and true. I wasn't I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how terrible it was gonna look. Or right. <laughs> I believe the word you're looking for is quaint. How quaint <laughs> it was going to look. Pardon me. But yeah, so, so the coach is so like, coach hey, Eddie, you, you taint shower? sweat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he goes in the shower and um, all the shower heads start going off. The knobs are turning on their own and the heads start moving out at him. I thought it, that was funny. It's like Porky's from hell. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, they're they're extending and blocking his path. And then uh, Penny, Penny or Tim Curry's voice comes from the drain and then the clown hand pops up and it like rips open. Stretches like a butthole. Yeah. Which I really love because <laughs> I, I might just because my brain works in weird ways. Did you guys get a vision of Bugs Bunny <laughs> yeah. like, with the white gloves opening <laughs> one of those holes to go through? I was like, yeah. holy shit. I don't know if it was deliberate, but it blew my mind. I was like, why am I being transported to being a child watching Cartoon Network? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the claymation ripple is what we're talking about. I just, I thought it was, well, I thought it was funny, but I wasn't expecting really really cheap effects like that yeah so. uh, claymation ripple is actually the name of my stand-up comedy special coming out on netflix 2020 <laughs> <laughs> and he freaks out and i think he goes into like a side one of the side rooms or something he starts getting gas and he's like curled yep. up in a ball penny pennywise is like taunting him and growls and shows his teeth and then jumps back to adult eddie getting on the train yep. and riding off into the night and it's like red lights very dark and his limo driver buddy is like just chilling, watching him go. Let me ask you that the night aesthetic, right? It's, it's late night. You got the red lights and everything. It's just freshly rained, so there's a reflection on the street. Is there any better song than Separate Ways by Journey? Be pumping like the heart in your chest as you drive a Camaro down the street. Can you sing a part of it so I could know what that is? Go our separate ways. It was just a way to prove that Chad doesn't know what music is. Oh, okay. Because I really had no idea. <laughs> no, it's, it, I was just trying to make a mockery of you. It oh, works, okay. I think, proficiently. Jim, yeah. was he properly mocked? Yes. Would you like me to continue with this bit or can we move on? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Give the people what they want. <laughs> so Richie is on the TV and he's being racist and he does like the Asian guy thing, but he does make a reference to Kaiju, which I love. So I'll give him a pass. <laughs> he goes to the back in the green room and he kisses his niece and it's swarming with people and suddenly it's silent as Mike comes on the phone and tells him that it's back. I thought that was a fun way of showing the calamity that is Richie's life. He gets back home. You know, manager is upset with him about canceling gigs. I like this a lot. I like it in the book where, you know, he tells his manager like, look, I'm not going to be on the radio tomorrow. I don't know when I'm coming back. And the guy's like, it's morning radio. Like you will lose your entire career if you do this. I think that works out just as well. This takes place, of course, in Beverly Hills. I think that it's really interesting. And tell me what you think. The manager's like, really? And he puts his sunglasses on and his manager walks out the door and then he takes his sunglasses off. <laughs> you know what I said? I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> That's a great scene. Probably my favorite scene of all time. And then it cuts back to him having his fight with the teenage werewolf. Right. Uh, the very short clip, right? Super short. Yeah. yeah. And then it's immediately to Bill telling the fable. And as he's telling the story, no stuttering. Showing yep. that he is the true wordsmith and thus the embodiment of Stephen King in this book. <laughs> There's always one of them. And I will continue. They have a clubhouse on the river, which I thought was kind of interesting as opposed to under the river. Whatever. Same effect, less setup, cheaper budget. Hoo-ha. Richie says that he wants to be a rock singer or an impressionist. And they say, hey, but all your voices sound the same. 
exact same as the book works just as good. Bill tells them about what he saw in Georgie's room. And this is where they start to empathize with one another about the plight that they've had in dealing with Pennywise. This scene needs to go before Bev's scene so that if you try, you die makes sense because at this point she thinks that she's having an isolated hallucination. She right. doesn't, you know, commensurate with her peers. So then there's the Irish cop and he talks to them about Velma Daniels having been murdered and he tells them to go everywhere together all the time and he makes them shake on it, which yeah. is, I, I think it's a good scene. It's very similar to the book and it, it evokes a lot really quickly. And then it sets, it sets like the tone, at least for the town kind of thing. Even the cops are, you know, kind of, Hey, the killings are still happening sort of a thing. Yeah. We're not stopping it. We're just acknowledging it. <laughs> right. Yeah. They have no clue about anything still. Of course, because right. uh, that's the the negligent non-believer adult. Yes. I mean, it's a character type, but it works because so many times as a child, you're like, look, this is the most important thing in the world. And you're like, I couldn't care less. And it just so happens that these kids, most important thing in the world is literally life and death. Yeah. So next day, uh, they're at the school and Richie gets stopped by the bullies and they put mashed potatoes all over his glasses. He then pushes the whole tray of food onto Henry, which was kind of funny. And I enjoyed it. Like he, he still has like a backbone. He's like the only one that's really standing up to Henry, which I liked because it shows how afraid he is of Pennywise. Right. Yeah. Because you know, he is an immediate coward when it has to do with anything with Pennywise, but it's for point and purpose because he is not a racist bully. He is a fucking interdimensional demon monster. Like it's a very different thing. And I love that. Yeah. And so then the bully moves to chase him down and he runs into the principal, I believe, right? Or is, is he a teacher? Yeah, probably principal. Probably yeah. principal, but whatever. They don't He's really say. also the smoking man from the X-Files, X-Files, motherfucker. I know. As soon as I saw that, I was like, <gasps> I thought he looked familiar and I couldn't place him at all. Which is great because he's interacting with Seth Green at the time. Also X-Files veteran. Boom. Boom. The principal, let's say, tells him to go get a mop down in the cellar, right? To clean it all up. From Beverly's dad, Mr. Yeah. Marsh. I think this is the first time we get the beep, beep, Richie from Stan. I think so. It's Richie's mouthing off to, to Henry before he before the whole running thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So he goes down into the boiler room, I believe, yep. which I've never had a school that had one. So it's kind of weird. Okay. Have you? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I have. I don't know what they would need to boil, <laughs> to be quite frank with you. Uh, anyway, it's like a big underground room where... Mankind, Mick Foley lives. Yeah, he's asking for Beth's dad, looking for the mop, asking for the mop, and he starts hearing noises, and the teenage werewolf comes out. He freaks out, saying, oh, this can't be whatever, runs back up to the cafeteria, and he tells everyone in the cafeteria that he saw, it, and everyone thinks it's a joke, but then they kind of pan over to all of his friends, and they're like, oh... No, we've all seen something that's kind of messed us up. Jim, do you like that he goes from the werewolf back to Pennywise? As, yes. As he's running away, he's like, meep, meep, and making fun of him. Yeah. I like that a lot, too. That, yeah. it, it creates the singular vision. Right. You know, for instance, Mike has a crazy bird. He does not have Pennywise. Eddie has the crazy leper. He does not have Pennywise. But I like the idea that Pennywise is both to these kids because they all know it's the clown. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, in the book, you have the benefit of like, oh, well, it had gray and orange tufts, whatever. But in this, I think that it, it simplifies it. It's a visual cue. Everybody's on the same place. Boom. Yes. Then it cuts to him in bed. He can't sleep because of the werewolf. And then it cuts to his modern day self riding the porcelain pony because he just ralphed chunks into the into the grossness. 
Yes. I already said porcelain pony, so I was like, why did I even repeat myself? <laughs> Mike at the library looking at a photo calls it Lucky Seven. What the fuck is that all about? That wasn't in the book, right? Nope. It's no Losers Lucky Club. Seven. They did they they talked about Losers Club in the movie too, right? Or not at all? Yeah. Yeah, Bowers calls them a losers club. They are the self-proclaimed like, losers club, and then out of nowhere, they're the lucky, lucky seven. seven. Yeah, yeah. Which Beth? All right, whatever. Beth uh, kind of takes it as the Bev? or Bev. Yeah, Bev takes it the losers club after he says it as kind of like a title for them. Yeah. I know what you were thinking, Jim. He actually didn't make a mistake. He was singing the song Beth from Kiss as sung by Peter Chris, right? Oh yeah, I know that one because he's a music aficionado of the show. <laughs> <laughs> wah wah. <laughs> Oh, so it cuts to Mike introducing himself to the school and he's showing his photo album, which is actually his dad's photo album. And he talks about all of the dark, dirty stuff. And the teacher's like, I don't want to hear this. Fuck off. <laughs> and so Bowers finds him after school. And this is the first time you get the N-bomb. Yeah. Hey. So go, On going TV. back to the classroom, another thing the teacher does like, we don't want to hear this morbid history. Yep. Just another dismissal. Yeah. The ostrich in the sand. I'm completely yeah. oblivious. I'm not going to hear this. Meaning that she's at least an accomplice to the entity that is in Derry. Right. Which they actually flash back to the scene now that I remember later on this exact scene to kind of show that all the parents oh. and grown ups don't, uh, they ignore everything. Yeah. Just that. like the guy who lets Bev get attacked. Yeah. Right. Boink. Oh. <laughs> so then it cuts to basically the rock fight, the apocalyptic rock fight, because Bowers is going to put a cherry bomb in his pocket and blow it up. He escapes. The gang is talking about their experiences with Pennywise. He gets chased into the junkyard. Bill's not stuttering through the scene to start out with. When he's setting up the plan, he's you know very focused. When he's talking to Henry, he stutters a little bit, which I thought was good. It shows he's a man of deliberation. He's the leader for a reason, but he's still a kid. He's still afraid. Right. They throw the rocks. There's an interesting gaff where he gets, or he being Henry Bowers, gets hit in the head and he's bleeding. Cuts, cuts back. No blood. But he calls them the Losers Club and says as he's leaving, I'll kill you all three times. Ben then changes the name to the Lucky Seven and they pose for a picture. That is a whirlwind of a day because I think Mike even says that that's like the best day of his life, right? <laughs> yes. Ugh, that's a bad day, friend. <laughs> Fuck. That rock fight in the book, though, was crazy. Like, Gnar. It, it, it was so downplayed in this. Yes. And then I can't remember who it was, but they talked about one of the boys. Was it? Hawkstetter was it the the creepy guy who jacks off Henry? Yeah, was it him that like he was he was described as being so detached that he did the most damage to everybody because he was like he didn't have like a fight in this, yeah. and so he was so cool and collected during the rock fight that he was like he was the one who was like nailing everybody in the head. Yeah, but he was also like referred to as a pitcher or something. Uh, he played baseball or something. Yeah, I I just specifically remember him being described as not having any connection to the people. Well, and he's so completely he didn't get angry. Yeah. yeah. Right. They and got rid of that character completely as well. He's in it, but very like well, by not name to only. what he was. Yeah, he yeah. was like the animal killer and well, and yeah. brother killer and brother killer. Right. He's and worse the, than Henry, the jack off. And he captain. had a scene with Bev where he's chasing her, and then the fridge. Right. Exactly. Oh my god. With the bugs, which is awesome. With the leech, the the fleshy flying leeches. Right. Hell yeah! Ugh. I would have liked to see that. Yeah. I see why they cut his character. But that was so creepy. That's probably one of the creepy, the grossest parts of the book for yeah. me. Absolutely. I agree. And I think it's super severe. And, it's, you know, yeah, it's my understanding it's in the, uh, the new one, right? There's the whole fridge scene. Yes. That's the thing. Oh. There's so much extra stuff. Every one of the interviews I listened to with the children actors who are now adult actors, rather, 
uh, who talked about the new movie all said, well, it's different. They all talked about it being severe. They all talked about how they were excited for the new one to see what they do. And the fact that there's so much to draw from, they're entirely different movies. So I think that's a fair assessment. Right. Yeah. It's not a remake. That's not a shot for shot remake at all. No. There's so much shit in the book. They never even implied that there's a refrigerator scene in this versus in the new one. There's a whole scene about it, right? Mm, I think so. I'm yeah. trying to remember. Why not? Just say, yeah. Sure. You're so much better You're to say so yes right, to Jake. You're so right, Jake, all the time. Boom. <laughs> That's why we pay Chad the big bucks. So then it goes to the library and you have the muddy footprints and Mike sees a balloon. It cuts then to Atlanta, Georgia, where Perfect Strangers is on TV. I love it. <laughs> we do the dance of joy. Wait, wait, wait. We got to go back because they were sitting there looking at the pictures. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, that's right. This is where you get old dairy. Right. Um, from Mike's dad's album. From Mike's album. And, and he also has like the, the hand-drawn things. of The hand-drawn ones, yeah. At first I was like, I was like, oh, that's all it's going to be is like some hand drawings. But then they showed the last picture and everything started moving. I'll kill you all. I'm everything you were afraid of. <laughs> I think that's pretty fun. Right. He grabs Stan, who's the only one who doesn't want to believe. Yeah. And that's when Stan believes. The hand popping out was funny. Yes. A little bit ridiculous, but funny. But him like dancing and going up to the down the street and then coming up to the the picture i thought they did that was great the cartwheeling and stuff yeah, yeah. i think yeah. it's it's quite awesome i like that they go from the black and white to color because it, it, it looks fake it doesn't look like a black and white photo at all right so i like the fact they bring it to color because also i think it'd be more it's a parable for i'm a new threat yeah. i am not the old threat from 200 years ago and they kind of the kids laid it out at this point too that this is the adults don't see anything because they grew up and they kind of Bev talks about like we have to, this is where they settle it like Stan starts believing Bev's like we have to do something I think this is where they they kind of come together to decide we need to do something about this yeah they literally say quote they grow up and stop believing right. and then Bill walks off dramatically and he starts saying help me you killed my brother George you bastard let's see you now and then he knows that Pennywise on a certain level is afraid of them then they do a group hug Right. This is the thing that King does in his books. Group hugs? Yeah, yeah, group hugs. <laughs> but uh, the circle, like the power of seven or in um, the Dark Tower, like the quartet, like their group and uh, the power behind that. So it's, a, it's a definitely a recurring theme in all of his books. So I thought it was, that was a good scene, too. Awesome. Then, like I said, Atlanta, Georgia, Perfect Strangers, we do the Dance of Joy. Stan's wife gets a call about being a grandma, blah, blah. He, I think it's pretty funny where he's like, well, your mom wants to be a grandma. Well, have you told her that I'm a sex maniac and you're more entertained by perfect strangers? That's my life. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny because Stan, uh, before he gets the call, seems extremely happy as well. His the character. Most normal. Right. The yeah. most normal where he's just chilling out. He doesn't even seem like super famous. He's just with his wife having a great time. Seems affluent. Yeah. Right. But yeah. But then when he gets the call, the light switch flips. Stan, it's come back. You promised. Flashback. They're shooting the slingshot. Richie points out that Bill doesn't stutter all the time, which I liked because at first I was like, oh, that's pretty bad. And even the actor apparently talked about in interviews that stuttering is way harder than you'd think it would is. Beverly gets 10 out of 10. I think in the book, it's only 9 out of 10. Yep. Not I think it's even less. I think it's like 8 or 7 maybe. Is it? I don't know. That's I don't look, look it up. But yeah, it, it was just everybody else was like two or three or something. What about the earrings being melted? I don't like that. I like the coins. I don't, yeah. I don't like the earrings. Yeah. And in the book, they go and get a ball bearing. What's it called? The They make bullets. They make a ball. Oh, that's they don't right. make a bullet. There's a whole thing of uh, one of the, when one of them shows up to the library, 
and has Ben. Ben has a flashback in the library, and he's he's like freaking out, and he's saying, stuttering, muttering to himself about making a bullet. And the guy's like, some the old guy is like, you don't want to make a bullet or something like that. And then he's like, oh yeah, it was a, a slug, a slug, but it was actually a they they got a molds for like a ball bearings. There you go. They That's went and right. paid like 10 cents or 50 cents or something for them. And then and they melted down the coins and You're made right. them. Also going back to Monster Squad. Yes. yes. Hell yeah. But, Rock uh, until you drop. <laughs> then Ben had a scene in the book where he was interesting. He was like in a bar and he gave away the coins for some dumb reason. I love yeah. that scene, though. I, I loved it, too. But then later on, I'm like, you know, you're going back. Why the hell did you give those coins up? Well, that's yeah. the thing he doesn't remember he's at that still, point. It's not oh, until he gets back. Remember, yeah, yeah, because they're all like clouded, and he yeah, it's he talks like, about it later, and he's like, "Oh, I gave it away." <laughs> but that's the thing; like, he, he knows that what he's going back to is so scary. This is my living will and testament. Right, like, give these to your kids. Happy trails, partner. I'm gonna go die now, and then he gets to put Beverly snooze on his face. That's Richie for you. They go to the sewers, right? And they get down there. They're talking shit. The Bowers gang is like, oh, we're going to get you. Right? Right. So as they get down there, they all take a drag on the inhaler and they're talking about how it tastes like battery acid. Yep. The gang falls in. They're talking a bunch of shit. Belch is the one who gets uh, attacked on the stairs, right? Yes. And it's just the light. And then yes. he gets like pulled into the tube. <laughs> right. So many people. You didn't like the tube. I don't mind the tube. I, I kind of like the leery light that comes out. It's like, I don't know. It's interesting. I didn't like how he was slowly pulled through it in such a static way. I love that part of it, though. Like It's more creepy to me that it's like this slow pace rather than it just like ripping away. It seems less comical, I guess. Maybe if his like if he was actually reacting, but the character's face was literally just well, static because he saw the deadlights. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's he's, why he did he's it. Clearly illuminated when he's on the stairs. Yeah, I took it as like he sees the deadlights, and so he's pretty much like how Audrey is later in the movie, where yeah. she's like a comatose. hypnotized or right. whatever, or Tom Rogan later on. Yeah. I'm gonna have to rewatch it because I. I Do you really want to rewatch that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just that little scene. But okay. I still think I would have liked it better. I think in the book when a bunch of zombies come out, Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's Franken right. It's yeah. huge monsters. to me because yeah. this is like what sets up the universal monsters and my monster squad. Yeah, exactly. Like, Cause it's always something that is like, that is a frightening for the kid. Yeah. So I thought that part would have been better that way. Yeah. Like some sort of big, huge intimidating creature or something. He's like Stan gets the mummy later right. on, which I think was actually one of the cooler effects. I wish they would have done a lot more of. Right. I think the mummy looks better than the werewolf. Right. Because I didn't like the light as just being in the movie and not being like a creature or it's something. It's cheap. Right. I think that the light is a very quick way of being like, oh yeah, we'll just use the light twice really quick. I don't mind the light in between shapes. I do mind the light in lieu of shapes. You know what I mean? Right. Henry Bowers gets scared by the deadlights to the point where his hair turns white. Stan's running away. Bev uses the slingshot. There's the weird like shell abdomen that's glowing and floating overhead. So it's still like not even a deadlight. It's I thought it was a turtle. I thought I was like, but it's not you, the turtle, right? It's supposed no, it's, to be. It's yeah. absolutely not. It's his like the is like it's carapace like the, or whatever. Right, right. But that first thing is like, well, there's obviously something there. And if you look at a turtle, the the pattern on the other underside of a turtle, it kind of looks like that. And I was like, is this and the turtle doesn't partake in anything overtly, overtly. but he sets them up. Yeah. yeah. But so I was like, is that the turtle helping them out and taking out 
Belcher, <laughs> like something, you know. <laughs> oh, okay, right. I can see that. and then and then just passing over them. But it was, I thought that was really weird. You get Stan doing part of the Boy Scout oath. People freak out because he's not doing the full Boy Scout oath. Eddie does the it's battery acid, you slime. She, Beverly then draws her slingshot, hits him in the head. As a child, slingshots right-handed. As an adult, slingshots left-handed. Whole movie's ruined for me. Let's stop here. No. <laughs> but I actually really like the battery acid part where his face is like half melted. I really liked the... Oh, I uh, love it. That's a great practical effect. The effect. best part is when he pulls his hand away and there's the goopy slime, which they almost didn't do. They didn't have all the resources in Vancouver. Tim Curry was very gracious in allowing them to do it and coming back and doing the extra work and going through the extra cosmetics to do that. That tells you, like, this is this the Tim Curry fucking hour. I love it. I love it. After getting hit in the head and having light erupt from his forehead, Pennywise does a front flip and jumps into the drain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ever the fucking showman. And they're like, well, he's dead. And Bill's like, no. But then they go outside and they they swear to one another. We will come back. And they group hug again. The power of your circle or whatever. Stan's wife comes upstairs and she's like, I'm going to suck your dick off. Put a baby in me. <laughs> and then she sees that he's slit his wrist and scrawled it on the wall of the bathroom. The least amount of blood I've ever seen for a suicide of this way. And his oh, wife I know. is an ugly crier. Oh my God. The zoom in on her face before <laughs> she even wails out crying. She's just making like a stink ass face. Like, what is that smell? Like, Hard to have Arr! sympathy for somebody who looks like that. Am I right? Oh, yes. Sorry. Hard to have sympathy anyway. Ugh. But, ugh. All right, modern day, Bill at the cemetery, boom, says hi to Georgie's gravestone. So sorry I forgot. Pip, pip, cheerio. Have a good day. Pennywise is digging graves, and there's the one that's already taken, but he doesn't have to go, hey, Bill, look at this one. It's taken because of Stan. Suck my motherfucking dick, motherfucker. No, it's all empty and blah, blah. He has the rotten teeth like the leper. I like that much more than the sharp, scary teeth. Yes. Boom, gets to the library. He sees his books on display, thus showing time has passed. He is a changed man, but the same man. What happens then? Jimothy. So Bill goes to the library, meets with Mike, starts to remember things. Like that it's the poor side of town where yeah. Mike lives. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Such oh, a great... sick burn. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been rich for so long. Yeah. <laughs> and Mike shows him silver in his garage. I love that. Way simpler than the goddamn book. Uh, the yes. whole pawn shop scene. Didn't care. I love, and, but I mean, they combined it because Mike had already bought the tire patch kit yep. in the book. Whereas this, he's like, okay, I bought a tire patch kit for no reason. Then I saw your bike and I bought it for mm -hmm. no reason. Which That's is, right. yeah. It does Again, set up, like yeah, it sets up the, like, the predestined, yep. the turtle kind of. And it makes controlling. him more important because that's yeah. what I mean. Like in the book, he's not as important as you'd think he should be given the fact that he's the harbinger or like the right. unifier. And I liked his like scenes where he's like investigating and talking to people and because i liked the history part of it like right. you said chad yeah so those were cool but over and bringing them all together but outside of that it was just meh one thing i definitely like in the book is when he starts to forget what he's even put together at the end that's a very cool detail that they kind of lose here yeah and so after that we go to richie driving into daria and his convertible drives past beep, beep. the aladdin they renamed it to the Paramount for some reason because they didn't want to put up Aladdin. <laughs> yeah, With it was out of the budget. <laughs> the marquee says the "Rest in peace." Yeah, as Richie he drives Dozen. by it, I think it had that date or whatever. Yeah, I thought that was fun. Yeah, it's also what fades you out from the beginning of the first episode was a picture of the marquee where it says "I was a teenage werewolf," and then it fades, and that's where it says, uh, you know, like space for rent. 
So that brings you to the modern day. And then so this also brings you to the modern day, which I like. Right. So he goes to the library looking for Mike. Pennywise shows up and he's like up on the upper level and he's talking shit. May I? Please. Do you have Prince Albert in a can? <laughs> God, I love that so much. <laughs> when he's in his <laughs> lap. <laughs> God damn it. So good. This is like, I think, the longest part of his talking, right? The clown? Yeah. It's his longest scene. I think it's, yeah. it's fucking hilarious. Love the balloons. When they, yeah. I love when they explode in people's faces and they're not supposed they're like, to react. Ugh. But they're like, Ugh. yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> Imagine how tight that old man's butthole gets when that balloon pops in his face. There was one lady that flinched <laughs> so hard. Like her head moved like three the inches back. Glasses? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Read it. Oh, man. Love it. I'm not knocking them. I couldn't have done that. Fuck no. <laughs> but it's a great scene. It adds to that whole. Nothing has changed. Everybody's still completely complicit in allowing, you know, Pennywise to wreak havoc. And, you know, it sets up like Richie's a fuck. He's fucking afraid, which yeah. is such like that's one of the things I think is bereft in the ending because they take away his overcoming that fear and being the central hero. But let's move on. <laughs> he escapes that's in his so goddamn good. automobile. I'll have to let you listen to the audiobook because the guy that does the voices for for Richie, especially at the end scene where he's like doing all the impersonations or whatever is so good. <laughs> I don't know. We might have listened to the same audio book because I, he, I am sure there's only, yeah, I think there's only one, one. quite good. Oh, you listened to it too. Oh, for sure. Man. Oh, I thought you read it. All right. No, <laughs> dude, the last thing I read that was a thousand pages were subpoenaed records from Kaiser Permanente. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> no, unless you're paying me 400 bucks an hour, not reading a thousand page book. So do you want to pay me a thousand bucks an hour or 400 bucks an hour? I'll take a thousand bucks an hour too. It depends what you're doing. <laughs> Suck on that. <laughs> All right. Oh, and then this is where we get the, the, the bike scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so okay, this is I, I, I mentioned <laughs> yeah. the Wednesday warm up that this scene is what got me to watch this fucking movie because I'd never even read it. And we made fun of it. My friends and my old band and everything. And my friend who I was talking to at work, she was like, oh, yeah, I loved it. I love this scene. I think it's perfect. It, it fits the movie. And I had never even thought of it. I just thought it was like a dumb filler scene. And she's like, no, it's like two friends reconnecting and reliving their childhood. And it's such a great unifier. And I was like, and it sucks. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I think the fact that it sucks is what's great about it, I guess, because I, I rewatched it after talking to Kendall and I was like, ah, uh, I like that. It makes sense to me now. Well, being 35, when I meet up with my old friends, this is definitely how it goes. We all pull out our skateboards that we still have. and You and Brian and... were in my cul-de-sac riding skateboards yeah. less than a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's just what happens. Did he ollie or was it a kickflip? Uh, kickflip. Man, good for him. I was more of an inline guy because of my time playing uh, hockey. I was more uh, like the brink dude rather than the skater die bad and rad we're dude. mortal enemies. You know that. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I'll still suck your dick for a quarter. <laughs> I'll suck your dick for free because I'm the leper under the stairs. We move on. <laughs> oh, Ben's on his cell phone. Um, oh, well, hold on. Then the spooky scene when they're going to use the bicycle trading cards to put in the spokes of silver. Yes. And then it's Pennywise on the cards that doesn't say or do anything. Booga, booga, booga. Then we go to Ben on his cell phone and his cell phone is the size of a goddamn brick. Love it. <laughs> and then he pulls out a Palm Pilot. Huge. Yes. Love it. Then... He goes to the Barons and helps some chubby kid. Completely useless. Don't love it. No, Flashback he to does him. not help the kid practically at all. He lets the bullies like kind of just walk all over him. And then he helps him up and clean up his little like cut. He, not even a cut. He dips his handkerchief in nasty ass Barons water yep. and wraps it around a fresh wound. Yep. <laughs> that kid is going to get sepsis. Gangrene. 
I'm going to have to sell it off. But the old man, he gave me the bandana. And then he hears the skeleton calling to him. And then he's like, oh, got to get out of here. And then the bum comes. Got any change? Why the fuck would he be down there begging for change? I don't like that. Yeah. Waste of time. Very simple. Try and jump scare. Well, one of my favorite parts of the movie, my like super short gag with Pennywise, is when Ben's driving past and they see they're driving past Pennywise who's standing there waving. And then as they drive past, a balloon ends up in the car. The turn back now. Right. That's the best balloon gag. In the book, they yeah. use the balloons all the time for him to send messages to people. Yes. Never like it that much. That one is great. It's simple. It's clear. It's very vivid. The font is clear. Boom. Agreed. So Eddie uh, shows up at the pharmacy and has flashback of his doctor talking to him, trying to get him to see that his medicine is nothing but water. This is a pretty big scene in the book, too. Yeah. Yeah. They, they kind of just go over it and then he sees the old his old Dr. Keen, I guess his son was running the register. He goes and talks to him and mentions Hydrox and HGO and it's, it's only in your head and then he grabs him and you starts, it's, it's or Pennywise's voice and he's like, you gotta get, get out of dairy while you right. can. And the hand's like a big clawed Oh yeah, hand. it was like the creepy Mummified. hand. Yeah. Right. And then he goes back to normal muttering to himself and we go to Bev's house. This is the Mrs. Kirsch scene. This scene is the preview for the new It Chapter 2. But the lady keeps her fucking clothes on. Yeah. so Which is not as good. Yeah. We all know Chad's fetishes. There's a list of them a mile long. But basically, she makes the coffee, or the tea for her. She guzzles it down. Bev's tea is blood. I love that Mrs. Kirsch turns into the mummified dad who has had his eyes gouged out, who chases her into the street, she almost gets hit by a car as Pennywise is on the porch. And then as she turns and looks back, the house is completely boarded up. Right. Super simple. Love I it. liked the book part of this because the book. It My was just, father bursts me from his asshole. Yeah, it was like it was super descriptive. And I think they even talked about the cup of tea not being blood. I think it was like shit and they smelled. Yep. It smelled like terrible shit and stuff. And yeah, I think it, that was probably more effective. Poop poop fetishist. Yeah. Yeah, because she's talking about being born out of an asshole. Right. But Ugh. then everything starts like decaying and stuff. It's just, it was pretty good uh, visual for this. Or, you know. Absolutely. I love that the whole thing is just a gag. It's right. All a ruse around it to, to make Bev go crazy. And I think it's very, it's very intentional that that balloon at the end of the scene rises up from under her skirt and floats away. Yeah. I mean, he is sending a message to her. Cuts to Audra, who's talking to Greco, who's like the manager and he's like, basically, well, Bill's gone, so how about I suck your vagina off? And she's like, Greco, you silly. <laughs> yeah. And then she flies to America. That whole thing could have been cut. Hate Definitely. it. Definitely. Audra should be gone. And she's useless. But at least Bill's not a fucking cheater in this, so let's move on. It cuts to Chop Suey <laughs> Chinese Restaurant. Yes, Jen? Mike uh, has a... He arranges for all of them to have a Chinese dinner at a restaurant. Can we talk Inside about this? Inside dairy, though. I was like, wouldn't you want to like go just outside the border? Or Seriously, man. <laughs> I'm not going to Maine for my Chinese food. Uh, <laughs> quick, quick thing. Yeah. Is it as funny to you guys as it is to me that Ben goes up to Mike and says, Mike, is that you? The one black guy <laughs> yeah, who you know is hanging out with Bill Denbro. That's what I, yeah. I don't think I saw a single other black person in this entire movie. And I was like, really, dude? Like, are you that colorblind? <laughs> no one's that progressive. True. So, as the scene goes on. Yeah, Beverly, so everyone comes in, starts meeting. Bev's the last one to show, right? 
Yeah. She passes out instantly because she just came from like her whole house scene. Yeah. She kisses Richie when she wakes up. Yep. Kisses Richie. Who has puke mouth. Well, yeah. he doesn't. Well, he goes not. to the bathroom, like washes his face. But yeah. Right. And then she's looking for Bill and they kiss somewhat passionately, which is like kind of yeah, a very long, long kiss. And then he, Richie calls out for Stan and Mike doesn't know he's dead at this point yet. I like that a lot. Right. No one does. Yeah. So they pretty much say, well, let's start dinner and we'll fill in Stan when he comes. Did you guys get the th- idea that Ben was possibly an alcoholic? Because in this scene, they show him ordering drinks. He's very specifically him ordering more drinks. And he'd obviously been drunk when he breaks his trophy at the beginning of the first one. So did you get that vibe? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. In the book, he also, he, the only like hobby he has is going to that bar. So. Right. And he, puts and he down. drinks a lot in that bar. Yeah, like he does the weird whiskey like, or something. Lemon yeah. in his eyes or, or his oh, snort, yeah. snort nose. Yeah, I forgot about that. It's yep. so weird. Like, why did you do that? But hey. so, so he can't. So burns the shit out of his his senses, so he doesn't feel it. The when he's pounding it, the right. super hard alcohol. Right, and he claims that it doesn't like get him wasted. He called. It was some sort of trick. Uh, I don't know yeah. some country right somewhere. So then they're all talking about their marriages, and then they mention the fact that um, you know Henry Bowers ended up in Juniper Hills, and it cuts to Juniper Hills, and Pennywise starts talking to this motherfucker through the moon, which yeah. just happens in the book. It's the man in the moon. Cuts back to the Chinese restaurant. Richie talks about leaving, and then they all open up their cookies. Beverly, blood. Eddie, cockroach. Richie, I, Ben, Harry Pinchers, Mike, baby bird, Bill, spider legs. Yeah. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. Everybody gets their own. Before all that, there's a big happy montage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of all the food and I all wrote, the friends. Drinks, food, good times, music. Yep. <laughs> the good times roll. And so after that, they do the same thing they do in the book where the lady comes in and she's like, everything okay? And they're like, oh, our friend was having an asthma attack, but he's fine now and we're leaving. Bye. And they run. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. From cookies. <laughs> this, to be ever so clear, they're running from cookies and they end up at the library. And this is where uh, Mike calls Stan's house to figure out what the hell happened. Find out the poor fella died. Yep. Killed himself. And this is also where Bill then talks about that's why there was a one of the graves was filled in. Exactly. Because Pennywise knew. And you have the flashback for Beverly of them cleaning the blood. Richie makes a dairy air joke, which I loved. (laughs) And then it goes to Stan's flashback uh, where he whisks him away on silver he had been bird watching, goes yep. to the house. There's the mummy, the mummy with the orange tufts. He starts holding up the bird book and saying the names of the birds exactly from the book. Yep. Great scene. Boom. And it's the first time that you actually see Pennywise retreat with like a repetitive saying of like. He thrusts his fist into the post and still insists he sees the ghost. Right. But instead it's him saying the. Names of the thrush and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. I like. You know, it, it goes to the same thing with, you know, Eddie with the battery acid. Like right. there's that innocence. Their belief and- of it. Precisely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Jolly good. Then they find Stan's head in the refrigerator. Who roasts them? Boom. Roasted. Yeah. Like a Richie roast, though. Yeah, dude. <laughs> when he's like, hey, Richie, nice nose, Jeff. I was like, wow. It was, that's cutting deep. It was kind of interesting because I was like, Stan has no character at all. He's always like this boy scout that's just like, oh, I don't want to believe, blah, blah, blah. They don't show him being this funny at all. It's weird because it's like a blend of a Richie impersonation and a Pennywise impersonation. Right. I think it's only supposed to be a Pennywise impersonation, but it comes across a little Richie. Yeah. Not little Richie. (laughs) So after the head in the fridge, we get all the, everything starts going crazy. It's like a storm inside. 
and lights are going out, glasses shattering and flying everywhere. Things are flying off of shelves. Typewriter starts writing something and rain comes down. Bill brings everybody together and takes their hands and then they all come. pelvic thrust together. Circle jerk. It's weird, right? <laughs> yeah. It's very clearly not a, like a hug from earlier. They put their crotches together. Well, yeah, they like lean back and they're all doing this oh, like yeah. shaking like they're actually trying to physically think of something happy sort of. Yeah. Um, and so it all stops. Everything is back to normal. And they're like, well, let's clean up. And Bill picks up the, the paper from the typewriter and it says he thrusts his fist against the post and still insists he sees the ghost, which brings back his stutter. Yeah. And then, and then we cut to Henry and uh, Juniper Hills and he belch comes out of, out of his bed uh, as a zombie and basically just talks him into going back and killing the adults. He gives him his old switchblade. And right. this is where you get a, a jab at Dean Coons. Because the orderly's name is Coons. Oh. You know, he drops his quarters. If you, if you hadn't read the book, you wouldn't know. The quarters yeah. that he drops are what he uses to punch people like a, a artificial brass knuckle. Yep. And Be- Because Penny- they didn't have batons or whatever, but they can get away with the coins. Exactly. Yeah. Pennywise's head turns into, I believe it's a Rottweiler. Yep. yep. And it just implies that he gets mauled to death. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, really slow motion of the guy falling and screaming. Yeah. <laughs> So we cut to the hotel, and then what happens? Jimothy. So we're back at the Dairy Townhouse. They don't ever mention that, but that's what it's called. Mike and why sh- does Mike have a room at the townhouse when he lives like yeah. three blocks away? <laughs> and how's he spending too. all his money? He's like so poor. Bala, I got the Chinese restaurant tab, you millionaires. <laughs> right. Well, when you don't have any friends, you just save all your money, I guess. Lonely, I'm so lonely. So this is where we get some explanation of what's been going on. Or what what Mike put together. So he's showing them paper clips from their childhood. And then at one point he mentions 38-year increments. And I didn't get a chance to go back and hear it about it. But later on, he does talk about, oh, it comes back every 30 years. Right. Bev talks about the teacher not wanting to know about it. And the book, it's a huge deal that the adults, want, adults don't want to know about it. Absolutely. But well, uh, Eddie gets his fucking arm broken and they don't do anything about it. I mean, right. There's a lot of instances where the adults just turn a blind eye. Right. I think I think he didn't say when he, in the book when he got his arm broken he they covered it up. I don't think he said that. Oh, Henry did this, right? But, but when um, he's when the boys are about to carve into Ben Ben's stomach, yeah, that's when there are people that see the bullies about to do it, and then they don't they don't do anything, right? And so then we cut to Audra who pulls into the gas station and she's like, "Where's Derry?" And he's like, "About five hundred yards that way." Turns out to be Pennywise who hypnotizes her with his beautiful glowing eyes. Right, which is still kind of crazy because it's like a full-grown adult. Somehow he's able to appeal to her child childhood side and I don't know, hypnotize her. Completely disagree with you. Why? Because the alternative version from the book is Tom Rogan abducting her in the parking lot. Right. I like this way better. Well, this is a lot quicker for sure. Yeah. It's also less violence against women. I mean, obviously, he's perpetuating <laughs> violence against women, but he's a fucking interdimensional spider, so it's a lot easier for me to swallow. It makes uh, me less cringy, you know? And also, I like the effect of the hypnotic eyes. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I like it. I just didn't think it made much sense when, like, all his victims are usually children and stuff like that. She's young at heart. Mm, yeah. Ha! <laughs> so Ben's telling a story about losing weight. Same exact story from the book. Coach basically says he has titties, and he's like, I don't want to have titties anymore. And then he's like, fuck you, coach. I ran real fast. And the coach hits him and loses his job. Bada bing, bada boom. He's weirdly giving Bev a massage and everybody's like laying around. It's very Greek. It's very Dionysus. It's 
sensual, right? <laughs> yep. Like, I just imagine, like, you replace Eddie's inhaler with, like, a hookah as they're, like, Mediterranean. I like it. In the book, he doesn't lose his job, though. I think they had to, like, fix it for the show. Well, naturally, you punch a kid in the face. I almost got a <laughs> uh, coach to lose his job. Really? Yep. One time in middle school, I had to get loners because I forgot my PE clothes. And the coach uh, backhanded me in the face and I got a bloody nose and I soaked the shirt. It was a yellow shirt soaked in blood. <laughs> and I didn't have to get a card pull or anything for the loners. So I was really happy. He got in a lot of trouble. It was fun. I was his best friend after that. Oh, hey, fella. You're okay, right, buddy? You're okay, huh, pal? And I was like, uh-huh. Talk to my attorney. Really backhanded you? Yeah. Huh. I don't think that he, he clearly meant to hit me, but I don't think he meant to hit me in the fucking face. <laughs> so to his credit, I was like, whatever. I came out looking great. And I got an A in gym when I was a fat kid. So I'm really not that worried about it. <laughs> That's how you do it, Ben. You don't actually do the work of losing the weight. You just get hit in the face and let your metabolism do the rest when you turn vegan. Dumb fuck. <laughs> Why does Mike have a hotel room? No, we go. They all go up to their rooms. Beverly has the flashback at when, where they're all like helping her clean the blood, blah, blah. I fell in love with all of you guys that day. And she kisses Ben's hand again. Very, very, very bohemian. We're all hanging now. Let's yeah. get our genitals together. Uh, she, yep. Mike goes to his room. The window's open. Bauer stabs him. Eddie's drinking booze and taking pills. It's very Buffalo Bill because he's kind of like shimmying. Yeah, uh, he's dancing to like music. Goodbye, and- <laughs> horses. Ben approaches Bev. I love this scene. This is going to tell me what happens in my favorite scene involving John Ritter. Go for it, Jimmy. Okay. So Bev comes to Ben and recites the poem. And she's like, it was you. And kisses him. And she says, I've always known I'm ready. And then over her shoulder, Ben sees in the the mirror, like from the, I think it's from the ground up no it's, it's from starts with the glove I it think. starts with the glove like her her hand is like actually a white clown's glove and it goes down and her she's got like the kind of the clown parachutey pants on and stuff <laughs> and he sees his own face smeared with white yeah oh, it's so great uh, that was really good and then and i think it, it goes to they hear something and rush to mike's room uh well first she goes Kiss me, fat boy. Oh. Yeah, which I think is great. <laughs> then they find they hear Bowers. Who, they find him, and he stabs himself. And they take Mike to the hospital. They all jump in the in, in the, the convertible. convertible. <laughs> it's so rad. It makes it practical sense that they actually fit in there without the roof. And then there's the scene with Bev. Why is it so mean? Big B. Yeah, that scene was terrible. I hate that scene. But so then terrible. She quotes the haiku. Damn it, Bev! Is that you or the clown? And then she kisses him. My heart burns there too. Yeah, fine, whatever. Give it a breath, right? They just had yeah. that scene with Pennywise, which is like right. the one of my favorite gags in the whole movie. And then to do that, I was like, eh, get the fuck out of here. And he obviously wasn't that traumatized because he freaks out, but then he's like, all right, let's just make out. I'll make out with you anyway <laughs> in my dumb black leather vest in the summertime. So Mike gives Bill the silver from his pocket because he had gone back to the sewers when he was close to suicide and he found them. I don't mind that, really. I think it's kind of an interesting idea that he's had nothing to live for. He's had no good moments. And so the fact that he's there, it works. And then it cuts back to the hotel. This town is all it. All of them. And that's where they have the realization, which I like. Right. So they decide that they can't actually tell police about the dead body in their room. So they pop on the TV as they're leaving. Right. Richie then hears about an, another girl who's been mutilated and you can see it starting to like 
he's afraid, but you can tell that there's that weight on his soul. Right, because he's the main leader of the of like kind of wanting everyone to go back uh, to go back home. Yes, correct. The coward. He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't want to fight it. Exactly. As Bill's leaving, he hears a lady playing for release on the piano with uh, doing a piano lesson with a child. And as they're all going to leave, he asks for their help again and they group hug. As you said, Richie's the last one to hug because he's reluctant. He doesn't want to do it. Right. You know. But even that scene is kind of like Bill talks about it and he's like, I don't even know if it was real or not. And this is kind of something that leads to turtle type power. Turtle it, power. Because it's a good scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Heroes in a half shell. Anyway, so then it cuts to the team getting ready. I actually like the idea of them having like miners helmets and stuff like that, but then just not using it. Right. Because Mike has been preparing for this for a long time. And so the idea that they have it, but then there's this weird impulse to just fucking go it alone with a slingshot that this lady's held onto, even though she doesn't remember even living in Derry. Right. It's kind of like that in the book, too. So I don't think there was any prep. They just kind of went. Exactly. Yep. They're like, hey, we're just going. Which I, no, no slingshot, nothing. Yep. Because I like the idea that you're confronting the fact as an adult, you have more resources than you have as a kid. They have all the resources. They still go in like kids. Right. Fair. Rich, even when they get there, he's like, we should have brought a machine gun or something. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which is great. Sewers. Bill finds his wife's purse and he runs off screaming her name. There's a great part where he slips and falls and he huddles. You could totally see the black uh, foam mat that he's supposed to fall on (laughs) because it pops up. (laughs) So distracting. Georgie sends him the boat and they're like, it's not Georgie. And he's like, it's Georgie. It's so sad. It's dead. <laughs> and Eddie confesses to being a virgin. Oh, wait. First, they see the disembodied Pennywise face on like the roof of the cave. And then he right. says that, uh, you know, he can only sleep with somebody if you love them. And they're the only people who he's ever loved. Chad takes that to mean he's gay. I think that he could be asexual, bi-curious, tri-curious. I'll try anything once, you know, especially if they're paying. And Jim just thinks <laughs> it's lazy writing to get out of putting a fat <laughs> wife, right? So that Bill runs off again to save Audra. Beverly misses the shot. Bill says the rhyme without stuttering. Very impressive. I hate this part where all three of them run into the deadlights and all get like frozen. <laughs> like yeah. one, oh, and then another one, oh, and another one. And you're just like, oh my God, really? Terrible. If at first you don't succeed, stare in the deadlight just like your dumb friends did. <laughs> the book was so cool, too. This is, this is one of the things I liked about the cosmic mis- mysteriousness of it. And he gets Bill and sends Bill off. So Bill's body is standing there, but mentally he's right in space or whatever. He's going towards, going towards the deadlights, the deadlights right. wherever those are. It's not a thing, a physical thing on Earth. Right. Correct. And um, or even in this dimension. And yeah, it's like traveling to the edge of our dimension and getting into another dimension. It's very interesting. Right. And then I, I like the way that they fought it without physically fighting it until the end. Yeah. The but, ritual of Chud is awesome. Like, yeah. like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it was so good in the book compared to every, like it made everything else seem so much more significant. Right. All of the silliness you realize is this facade because. You know, at least in the narration of the book, it's very Lovecraftian, like, you know, or, or Stephen King, where it's, it became unspeakable. Basically, he's saying this is this is so trippy. You're never going to fucking believe it. Right. But it works, I think, really well. And in this, it's just guys staring at a light. Right. But how are you going to even do that in the movie? 
you would have had to do the weird thing where it's like, oh, he's now standing in a completely white room and he sees something up ahead or and he's, he's zooming through space. Falling through blackness. Right. And with this budget and the technology then, I think they would have had a lot of tough time to like really make that effective for TV. They could have done the black room like in Stranger Things with the water. I mean, there's so right. many things. This is this is where you're craving art. Right. And they exactly. just didn't do it. Like you could have done something on a super low budget and still had it work. Fuck. Like so Ultraman. Going back to the right. 60s, right? There's the title credits are famously they took oil paints and they put them in and it says Ultraman and they spin it and they put it in reverse. So these swirling colors turn into something very clean. Like if you want to have that cosmic surrealist thing, you can do it on a budget of going to Joanne's and spending five bucks. That's true. I mean, with what they did with the spider, they wasted so much money with that. <laughs> Which is useless. Like less is more. Show me less spider. Show me something more crazy but that's the thing they hadn't really touched on any of the cosmic stuff so you can't do it now right because then it's yeah there's no turtle like we said countless times nothing of space really because they don't even mention the vision of him falling from space in this so yeah it really just boils it down to getting rid of the mystic and it's a physical alien threat yeah right that has which they don't even say it's alien, though. Or, right? Well, yeah. In I, this. I guess not, but... Correct. I mean, it, for all you know, it's just a subterranean thing. Right. Yeah, alien. That so. has, you know, not psychic, but whatever hypnotic abilities with its right. dead lights that it emits. Right. But I, I get... I see why they wouldn't go the route, because that's hard to pull off. Yeah. The mystic intergalactic, whatever it is. But... um, I think that it's... So that's the thing. I acknowledge that it's a difficult premise to approach. But because it is so amorphous, you can do so many different things with it that I feel that it's this frustrates me because it set off my imagination more than anything in the book. And it just gets kind of phoned in at the end. Right. I but think I that, think making it for the general public, which they're is like, oh, you don't need to read this huge ass book to really understand this. And they kind of just went, well, let's make a spider. <laughs> <laughs> think about it. You, you pan into a close up of their eyes and then it's just some surreal shit, even if it's just colored. Because like when they do the explosion in its stomach, that's kind of odd. And yeah. Out of, yeah. Very so it's strange. Like, if you're already doing that, like why not anything? Right. Is weird. Because that makes it look like it also isn't a physical creature as Correct. well. Because when they shoot the rock, it goes into like the abdomen. But the abdomen's still there, but there's like space fireworks going on inside, not even on the outside. And then it scampers away and they rip its fucking heart out. Right. They office space it with like the... Very very good. That makes me super happy. So yeah, there's the explosion. It crawls away after Eddie dies. So Eddie, it it lifts him up and he's... Because he does the, I believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. I do not believe in you and sprays. Right. Doesn't work. Not a child anymore. Innocence lost. Even though he's still over whatever it is. picks him up, gives him a big old hug, and he dies and dies, <sighs> which he's, he does die in the book. Yeah, but it's awesome. He gets his fucking arm ripped off, and right. it's like gnarly, right? But do, do he not- gets his arm ripped off by actually helping them a lot. He shoves his arm inhaler in into the mouth and sprays it and all that. It actually does something. Exactly. Whereas in this, it's a it's a brief fleeting distraction. Right. Where while he, Bev gets her little this thing that she missed with. Right, and he's his character is like afraid of everything throughout the entire book. So this time he's actually one of the bigger heroes. And he's that, like, I'm not gonna be afraid. I'm gonna step up, and he does it and makes like the ultimate sacrifice. And that like goes with Richie too. Right, exactly. They've done a great job, and that's what I I love that in the end, Bill is not the hero. Yeah, Bill is groomed to be the hero the entire fucking time, and then he's not. Right. Richie's the hero. Richie with Eddie's his the hero. comedy. Bev is even the hero. Yeah. Bill is a participant. Yep. 
Whereas in this, he, he, he thrusts his fist into the post and still insists he sees the ghost. He's the one who does the distraction and Eddie just gets squeezed. He death. replaces Mike as the glue that kind of helps keep them all together. Though. That's fair. I think it's because he also has the tightest bond with Mike after the right. bike scene. Right. Very smart. So then they go over and they're like, we're going to get him because Richie's like, <laughs> he's like, if that thing comes back when I'm 70. Yeah. <laughs> and they just, this is, this feels mean spirited. Am I too vegan? This thing is like cowering in the corner, this spider monster. They push it over and rip its fucking heart out. <laughs> yeah. That's great. <laughs> I don't like that at all. It's distasteful, my friends. But there's no eggs. There's no flood. No flood. No crumbling of the entire town, which is infrastructure. Yeah. Which is awesome, I think. No. Well, it reminds me of like the thing. Right. Remember where they're on top of this giant fucking spaceship. Like it shows the gravity of the situation. This town is the fucking spaceship. It right. is the devil. And when it breaks and the levee breaks, they go through some shit. And it is also the punctuation mark. Yep. Which implies that I think that Pennywise is still alive in the book. I think it's I think we can all kind of agree he's probably still alive in the book. It, this is the end. He goes dormant for another 27 years. I don't know. The end of it was so violent. Well, yeah. now thinking about it, the ironworks was violent too. See, yep. I, I I don't know, like the the whole the standpipe explodes exploding and water going everywhere and yeah, in the book, sinking everything. In the book, they go and talk about how many people died from the sinking and explosions yeah. of the pipes and stuff like that. So there's a huge sacrifice or whatever you want to call it of all these innocent people. But if you feed off of fear and negative energy. What better way to skimp away than right. having all of these dead people? For me, it's like they were in the dark cave and there's no way they crushed all the eggs. <laughs> yeah, for sure. hundred percent. And I never liked that part of the book. I mean, I, I never liked the fact that they, they give you the tease of eggs and then they kill them all successfully. Right. Because they say there's like hundreds or something, yeah. right? It's like a ridiculous number of eggs. And they're walking around in the dark. Right. He's lighting matches and right. like one match and he could like smash the egg and then whatever crawls out of it and he can kill it and then the match goes out and then he has to light another match right like, <laughs> exactly and there's like this horrific scream or something that happens when they crush the eggs right yep. yeah like in their brain like right it, right it's like a psychotic yeah psychotic <laughs> well it's uh, a psychic sort of clear, screech clearly this fuckhead didn't have a time machine and didn't see godzilla 1998 <laughs> with matthew broderick <laughs> one egg has to live that's how you get the animated series am i right right <laughs> Anyway. Did you like that one, by the way? It's not bad. All right. Well, I, I mean, I agree. I liked it when I first watched it. Let me tell you. It's hard now. It's no big guy in Rusty <laughs> the Boy Robot. <laughs> right. That's a fucking great comic. That is an even better <laughs> cartoon show. I will fight you to the death today if you argue otherwise. <laughs> Jeff Darrow's art is fucking amazing. The writing is fun. I love that shit. And it has that same kind of aesthetic. So, yeah, right. fuck, why not? Also, the kind of weird aesthetic of like Men in Black, the animated show, and like uh, yes. Aeon Flux, where like they have weird gullet necks and stuff. But yep. I like it. It's fun. It's completely tangential. <laughs> Keep me on topic. You know how I get about kaiju films, you son of a bitch. Oh. So Mike's writing from the hospital, and he's already talking about how he's forgetting everybody. Richie apparently stars in a movie opposite a guy who looks just like Eddie. I really like that. Because in the film, they do the Eddie spaghetti, even to his dying breath. He calls him Eddie spaghetti. Oh, I told you not to call me that. <laughs> Bev and uh, Ben go off. They get married. She gets pregnant shortly thereafter. Really like that. Talking about like the first, I mean, you know, it's the end of like the curse, basically. Exactly. And then, you know, there's Bill and they're talking about how even though they're seeing each other every day that Bill's coming to visit him, he's already forgetting his name. Yeah. That is awesome. That is the quintessence of the end of the book. Really like that. Uh, then there's the same scene where he puts Audra on the goddamn bike as they're they're about to get in the car and he looks and he sees the bike, puts her on it, they ride, 
She comes out of her coma or whatever. They're in the intersection. They kiss. Me as a violent driver who... Too much traffic in my life. That pisses me off. That's a negative <laughs> ending. I hate oh, that. Yeah. But we I like hear, how it was the same. We hear Pennywise's laugh. And then, and only then, do we hit the credits. That's true. He's still alive, motherfuckers. At least for this, because they will, were hoping to make another. <laughs> well, here's a great thing. You don't know interdimensional spider biology. For all you know, it has seven fucking hearts. True. And even in the book, the turtle's dead, but then you get more from the turtle later. What the fuck is that? Yeah. Super weird. It's actually part of a hive mind, and the rest are just coming to finish the job now. See? Uh-huh. Did it bother you that Stan's gravestone has a cross on it instead of a Jewish star of David? <laughs> yeah. Didn't even notice. Put that in here. Okay, so here's something we need to address. I'm going to tell you the quote from Stephen King, which he uses ad nauseum to explain away the sex scene from the book. I'm just going to read it. Needs to be addressed. I wasn't really thinking of the sexual aspect of it. The book dealt with childhood and adulthood, 1958 and grownups. The grownups don't remember their childhood. None of us remember what we did as children. We think we do, but we don't remember it as it really happened. Intuitively, the losers knew that they had to be together again. The sexual act connected children and adulthood, or childhood and adulthood, excuse me. It's another version of the glass tunnel that connects the children's library to the adult library. Versions of the same thing. Times have changed since I wrote it. And that scene, and there is now more sensitivity to those issues. It's fascinating to me that there has been so much comment about a single sex scene and so little about multiple child murders. That must mean something. I'm not sure what. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no. I'm not fucked up. You're fucked up for asking me about it, says Stephen King. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, guys. Is this a classic, a tragic, or a tragic? For me... I still think it's a classic, even Ooh. though I don't like it that much, but I have, I, re- I remember watching it when it came out or at least relatively soon after it came out and uh, really enjoying it. And there's still like so much impact this has on a lot of other movies. Jim, I'm going to go with Trashic and I think I, I need to go rewatch it without having to sit there and take notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That helps a lot too. But um coming I talked about this earlier, coming from just reading the book, there was a lot of stuff that I I you know, the the references or whatever, the right. parts that were directly taken from the book that I genuinely liked. It definitely is cheesy as hell. Yes. And the the effects some of them are charming. Yeah. And I think you have to downgrade it though a little because it is for T V movie, which yeah, was yeah, played yeah. in two parts as well. If you take it at its time and you put the considerations and the asterisks, I have no problem calling it a classic. Right. By modern standards, it's a trashic. For sure. You know, it's a good, bad movie. It is bad. It is, like he said, a beer budget, but it's good for what they did with it. Right. But if you consider the fact it was made for TV with fucking no budget, that they didn't expect to be this crazy thing, that they had fucking, they had subverted from the very beginning where they were going to give it 10 hours and they turn it into three hours and you have, you know, the, the, the casting process alone for this took so long that the kid who played Ben thought that he'd lost the part three or four times because he's like, <laughs> there's no way, there's no way I'm still this character. So when you factor in all those things, it's amazing that this movie was made and it's amazing how well it did. So... I, I am going to respectfully, for the first time in Slasher's podcast history, I am making a tweener vote. If we are giving it the considerations <laughs> of its time, it's a classic. If you want to just take it objectively as a modern movie, it's trashic. Okay, I agree. Fair. Yeah. yeah. If you were alive when it came out, I think you could say it's like I was, a and classic. I was three years old. Oh. Got something right. to say about that, honky? <laughs> 
Anyway. <laughs> Young pup. I will ask you guys a great favor. If you don't mind, please go out, like, share, subscribe. We're growing quite a bit, and it's all because of help from people like you. Uh, I've had multiple fans reach out and ask how they can help. Obviously, Patreon's the best way to give us our support. But I understand that money's tight, and I wouldn't pay to listen to a guy like me either. What you can do is if you give us an endorsement. You know, the fact is, we as a show are going to be get, getting out of debt much easier with good, solid listeners who, if there's Patreon, even if it's a dollar, I'm going to get much more from that than I would out of even a thousand advertisers. You know, it's just the way that it works in modern media. So I'm not asking for your money so that I can profit. I'm asking for your money so we can break even. <laughs> Hashtag no budget to low budget. Leaving a review also helps us hugely. Like seriously, it changes the data. It changes the priority on searches. I found I found our podcast on three different podcasting apps I didn't even know existed. Yeah. Basically, all those things do is they add their own search engine to Apple Podcasts. They take our RSS feed from Apple, put it and populate it in their own thing. But then all their site does is allow people to rate and review. And then we're just using them as a search engine. So you leaving reviews, whether it's Podtail, Podbean, Radio Public, it helps. Yes. And we would really appreciate it. Uh, this was a long episode. I took 18 pages of notes. I love this shit. And I love having a great excuse to do it. And looking at the analytics, it shows that my work our work is paying off. So thank you very much to those of you just for listening. If this is your first episode with us, fuck, what a gauntlet. You're a fucking trooper for getting this far. Thank yes. you. And if you guys like the content, we're always looking to make more and branch off doing more content. So again, rating, reviewing, and Patreon always helps with that too. Yeah, especially with a huge undertaking because it's such a quaint idea to do like our new video series, Why We Love Blank. That's a huge undertaking when you think about it. And it's nice to know with some of the feedback that we've gotten, even if it's private feedback, somebody saying, I like this, I don't like that. Hey, Chad, guess what? We had a fan reach out and say, adding Chad to the show permanently was a genius idea. Oh, That's well, thank you. You just whoever. saved this fucker a job because I was going <laughs> to ax that motherfucker. We always read the messages. We always appreciate the messages. We appreciate you. Jim, do you have anything you want to say to these pretty people? Yeah, come stop by Facebook and leave some comments. We're really active. Yeah, Facebook. Instagram. I'd like to be more active on our subreddit, but it's weird. Reddit we is not subreddit? a place for... Yeah, we have... Our, <laughs> yeah, dude, <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, it's weird. You don't like send people friend requests or anything on Reddit, so nobody's really used it. But yeah, slasherspot at gmail.com. Always keep a mind out for a hidden tracks. I am so fucking excited for this week's hidden track. This is the Lucitones. I have never talked about a hidden track on the actual live recording. I always do it in my little message after. I have won this band reached out to me in like the first three bands. but We never had a fucking werewolf thing to do. I'm so glad to put them on. And I am a huge fan of the people who support us and all of the bands. So if you are in a band or you know of a band, you think they'd be great for the hidden tracks, have them shoot an email over to slasherspot at gmail.com. I only put the hidden tracks in the audio version because YouTube's the devil and it'll probably get taken down. That's my spiel. Jim, wow these people with your goodbye. Beep, beep, fuck boys. like that. That's nice. even better than my shorts. That might be a that's keeper. Great. <laughs> Enjoy killing time. Until next week. And for Jim, for Chad, for Brian, my name is Jake. Asking you to go out there and do something you love. And remember, all work and no power play makes Jack a dull boy. We did it. The longest episode in Slasher's podcast history, all the while, 
editing and finalizing three bonus episodes, conducting a bonus interview, uh, working on the Goons Letter, working on my real job, working on parenting, working on husbandry, uh, watching a movie for next week, coordinating with my goon cohorts. And you know what? It is totally worth it because I love this shit. Uh, It's the best hobby I could have because I deal with the best people both internally and externally. So thank you all for your continued support. As I mentioned in the episode, uh, this week's hidden track is by the Lucitones. Check them out August 10th. They're going to be playing at the Remington Bar and Casino in Whitefish, Montana. Then on the 16th, they're going to be in Rialto Bozeman in Montana. They are playing two dates, August 17th and 30th at places that aren't listed on their Facebook. Then again, they go back to the Remington Bar and Casino in Whitefish, Montana, August 31st. Then they're playing the Central Saloon September 25th in Seattle, Washington. Man, what a mouthful. Please enjoy our good friends over at the Lucitones with their song, Mark of Cain. Not like the one from WWF, more like the Jesus one, but pre-Jesus in the Old Testament. Go on. 